Flyover Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Uh, Americans must look at this, if 57 million people look at this, and go, where is impeachment? Why is this happening? Will these people just get down to business and leave this impeachment thing alone? And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 28th of January, year of our Lord, 2020. And that's another impeachment flashback, because today we're going to be doing a lot of impeachment, some na- nailing, some media stuff, and a news of social media nuggets. And then on Friday... We will do the March for Life. Um, I did not get enough time to peruse all the articles and make good sound bites. So we're going to push that and give it its own show. Probably some more impeachment because this shit just keeps on going on. But before we start, I mean, once again, Mark Levin hit this. And I rarely play Mark Levin on my show. But I, I, I gotta. Here's Mark Levin. But the very same media, when it came to the Clinton impeachment process, had a completely different attitude. Let's check it out. Go issue has been a sham. It shouldn't have gotten this far. The House acted improperly in passing it on to the Senate. Why is your party dragging this thing out? Why is this happening? Why go through all this uh, this business about witnesses? It's going to add months to this thing. We should stop this. This bogus inflated uh, case. And get on with business of governance. Will these people just get down to business and leave this impeachment thing alone? It's going to be an enormous distraction. Uh, to the White House and all kinds of issues that the Congress ought to be considering. There's a long line of, of the people's business that seems to have been put aside and apparently is going to be put aside for weeks, if not months now. We begin tonight with the voice of the people. The visitor who got up and shouted, God Almighty, take the vote and get it over with. God Almighty, the man said, take the vote and get it over with. You know who the hero of this whole thing is? It's the guy who stood up in the Senate gallery last week and said, good God, vote and get over with this, will you? This process is Stalinist. Is there, is there not some concern of the public perception in, in some quarters, not all of them Democratic, that this is, in, in fact, a kind of effort at a, quote, coup. That coup. herd of managers from the House. <laughs> I mean, frankly, all they, all they were missing wait, 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 was wait, wait, white sheets. The they were like night riders. One White House official told me today, in 20 years, he said, people will remember three things about this, that the president was impeached in the House, that he was acquitted in the Senate, and that the whole thing was a partisan hit job. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and one other thing. Bill Clinton was accused of 11 felonies. Trump's accused of none. Every time I listen to one of these sound bites, and almost every day, uh, Newsbusters has put one out. And it's just shocking the amount of coverage it gets now. You know, I, I've been listening to the podcasts as I was fishing or working in the yard or whatever. And, you know, I missed some points that it's just unbelievable the amount of free publicity the Democrats really get. And how Chuck Todd, which is, he's going to start off our impeachment, him and uh, Nora O'Donnell just getting combative. They have been prosecutors for the Dems. They, they don't need campaign commercials. They don't even need to campaign. I think the, the funniest thing about the left is, you know, they talk about how we need to give money to this group and that group and rich people. And they raise billions for campaigns and they blow it. And a guy did an internet campaign, basically Trump, with big rallies that wasn't supposed to work, and he won on a shoestring budget. 
And he was facing the most biased coverage any presidential candidate had ever had. Literally, from day one, he's never winning. To the day before, uh, Hillary's cabinet is going to be amazing. Why do they raise all their money? They, They have all the media in their pocket, yet they still lose elections, and they still lose on points because it's so repetitive. Latest impeachment reminded New York Times of Nazi Germany. Yeah, that was the articles that ran back then. What are they running now? Nazis, KKK. You could take every one of those sound bites and throw it in there, and as we go into the polls... Americans aren't even listening because they're tired of hearing this. He says it was well known within the White House that the aid was tied to the announcement of investigations, political investigations. I've read every word of the deposition. The Democrat star witness, which is Gordon Sondland, as you saw in the president's uh, team's testimony, they said he presumed and assumed there was no direct conversation. And Adam Schiff chose not to subpoena uh, and continue that process with John Bolton. And they rushed this case. But Ambassador Bolton also makes the charge that the president was at odds with his entire national security team. That the Secretary two, of Defense, yeah, but, the but, national security advisor, but, were all urging the president in late August to release the aid and that the president refused and, according to Bolton, kept up bringing conspiracy theories about Ukraine. Well, you know, you keep talking about what Bolton brings up. To my knowledge, no one's actually read the manuscript. So I want to be clear. The White clear. House team has. Yeah. The White House counsel team and has so a they, copy. And so they've actually communicated what was in that manuscript to you? Because I talked to them late last read. night at midnight and again uh, early uh, this morning. And, and uh, specifically, when we look at that and what is in the manuscripts and what is not, is not relevant when it comes to this. Do you think Republican senators face political repercussions if they break with the president? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, listen, I don't want to speak for my Senate colleagues, but but there are always political repercussions for every vote you, you take. There is no vote that is higher profile than this. The question needs to be flipped. Where is a courageous Democrat who will actually look at the facts and vote in favor of not impeaching this president? So I'm wondering about those senators who may vote to call witnesses and join the Democrats, would they face political consequences? I think this witness question is a very important one. Oftentimes we're asked, over 50% of the American people want uh, us to call witnesses. That doesn't just mean John Bolton. That means the whistleblower. That means Hunter Biden. And it really opens up uh, challenges for the Democrats. Ken Starr's arguments to start off the day were interesting, to say the least. I mean, sort of boiled down to its essential core. He was arguing that we've had too many impeachments and that we're making it too easy to go about this process, which, aside from sort of the ironic nature of this coming from Ken Starr, uh, really just isn't borne out by the facts. I'll say it more less diplomatically. This is akin to a bank robber complaining that banks were too ro- too easy to rob. I'd say that's less <laughs> diplomatically. What do you say, Bird? She's an attorney. Astonished. It is astonishing that Ken Starr is lamenting that it's become too easy to use impeachment. When, by any measure, the Clinton impeachment is something that a lot of people have debated left and right about, did it sort of define impeachment downward? There you go. 
People are sick of it. Because here's the reality. When you break it down, this article's, uh, this is why they are going a- apoplectic. Gallup poll shows most Americans satisfied. New poll on virtually every big indicator Americans say things are better today than they were at the end of Obama's presidency. Economy is better by 22 points. Country is secure by 18 points. The military is stronger by 15 points. Streets are safer by 10 points. Still not convinced Americans don't think he sucks? Three million viewers flee big three impeachment coverage. According to preliminary Nielsen, just over four million people watched the first day of Democrats' opening arguments. Among the big three, 1.5 million on CBS, 1.29 and 1.26 on ABC and NBC. These numbers are actually down from 5.1 million average who tuned in in the beginning. Day two at 3.8 million. They're getting beat by the young and restless, the bold and the beautiful, General Hospital, and Days of Our Lives. Handedly beaten. And on cable, it's the same thing. It's not better. TV News HQ, uh, no conservative. Impeachment coverage was rating disasters for the big three who lost millions. Cooper, 561, this impeachment is pathetic. ABC General Hospital is more important than this ridiculous impeachment. Uh, everyone knows the fix is in. Nothing will happen to Trump. Keep the trial on the news channels. To Hillary influencers, I'm with you while all this is going on. Trump is still taking care of business, and these people are on a witch hunt. That's a fucking black lady. Lynn Nash, why are they torturing the viewers? If you must show that garbage during the day, at least have the episodes to watch online. Ted Cruz, just wait till we find out Shift has a long, long lost identical twin. Social media stats suggest America's bored by impeachment trial. They show that it's continually gone down. Of the 25 biggest stories about Trump during these three days, only three were related to impeachment. Liberal Democrats keep hoping time after time that something, anything news is going to change the dynamic so Trump can be ruined. Rothschild could only conclude the bottom line, the gravity of the charges against Trump is serious, but without something to change the dynamic, like witnesses who could provide new information or suspense over the outcome, and it hasn't been enough to keep the country hooked. Matt Whitlock. Tapper presses House impeachment manager Loughran on Democrats not pursuing witnesses in court, but insisting the Senate should. Incredible that she doesn't have a better answer for this. Because they don't have answers. Right. But what do you say to those who say that's what exactly what the House Democrats did by not going to court to try to force subpoenas and force witnesses? We did go to court, as you know. Um, but you didn't pursue it in court. You ultimately, ultimately withdrew the cases and we went We realized to the we had the evidence we were going to get uh, and that it was sufficient uh, to prove our case. But didn't you surrender to the president stonewalling in that well, sense? Well, I guess in that sense we did, because if we had waited for three or four years, the election would be over. Uh, the, the issue would be almost moot. If he- I segue that p- terribly, but here is Tapper pointing out little things. They don't point out a lot because they don't want to hurt the left. They just don't want to hurt the left. They want this to work. They've been pushing for this. 
Hold on a second. My phone is getting a spam call, and I need to report it as spam. Um, they don't want to hurt the left, but they know they played this totally wrong. They had nothing, but they did it anyway. And and I'll play probably two or three different sound bites. They're going to sound just like this. This is Nadler. He is a dictator. This must not stand. And that is another reason he must be removed from office. Is engaged in obstruction that several of his predecessors have expressly said is forbidden, and that led to an article of impeachment against Nixon. President Trump is an outlier. He is the first and only president ever to declare himself unaccountable and to ignore subpoenas backed by the Constitution's impeachment power. If he is not removed from office, if he is permitted to defy the Congress entirely, categorically, to say that, that subpoenas from Congress in the impeachment inquiry are nonsense, then we will have lost, the House will have lost, the Senate certainly will have lost all power to hold any president accountable. This is a determination by President Trump that he wants to be all-powerful. He does not have to, rep to, to respect the Congress. He does not have to respect the representatives of the people. Only his will goes. He is a dictator. This must not stand. And that is why another reason he must be removed from office. The American people hear this and they go, wait a minute. How can he be a dictator when you've blocked everything he's done? He's never had any support from his own party, literally on most of this stuff. But Democrats have blocked, gone to courts and tried to block every single thing he's done. Nothing, the, even simple things. So a dictator, by definition, is somebody that runs the country, there's no input, there's no nothing, he's in charge, blah, 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 blah. But that's not the case. You guys are in charge. You've been running the country. You've been running the country ever since he took presidency. You're the mi minority party. But with your media handlers, you've been able to do whatever the fuck you want. You pass useless resolutions, useless bills that'll never pass. Even the Senate, if it was Democratic, because it's far-fetched shit. You've done nothing for the American people. But you've obstructed everything. That's why the obstruction of Congress is so funny. All you've been is obstructionist. The do-nothing Republicans under Obama is all we ever heard. The Democrats have been, since November 9th, 2016, blocking everything. Responses to his shit. Can't get over what a catastrophic error it was to put Nadler on this team. White House cancel Chipotle destroys Naylor. The only one who should be embarrassed, Mr. Naylor, is you for the way you address this body. This is the United States Senate. You're not in charge here. You're not. And then when they put out their shit, and the media ignores and calls all his team uh, fucking white supremacist KKK members channeling Cliff from fucking um, Clinton's impeachment, Here's Pam Bondi. Twitter couldn't even suppress it. After her testimony, she trended. And not for bad stuff. The Senate. When the House managers gave you their presentation, when they submitted their brief, they repeatedly referenced Hunter Biden, 
and Burisma. They spoke to you for over 21 hours and they referenced Biden or Burisma over 400 times. And when they gave these presentations, they said there was nothing, nothing to see. It was a sham. This is fiction. In their trial memorandum, the House managers described this as baseless. Now, why did they say that? Why did they invoke Biden or Burisma over 400 times? The reason they needed to do that is because they are here saying that the president must be impeached and removed from office for raising a concern. We have some more stuff on the back end about Biden, but folks, we have him on tape bragging about firing the prosecutor. And if this once again was a conservative, this would be some shady shit. But more on that in the back end. Another big play they've been doing this week is that Fox is a parallel universe. Or This is America is them mocking and laughing and thinking once again America's them and America's not them. Here's Chris Saliza, one of many articles. It's not too much to say that Fox News viewers are occupying a different and less fact-based reality than the people who seek out other sources for their news. If you only trust one news outlet, and that news outlet is telling a very different and factually challenged version of the correct events, a massive disconnect is created. It's not too much to say that Fox News viewers are occupying a different, less facts-based reality. Uh, And it is into the disconnect, that information void, that Trump has leapt. Here we go again. Leapt into an information void. Oh, it's fake news. What Trump has done is doing is, is use his own massive social media following to amplify the message on national news offered by Fox News. Trump regularly tweets and retweets Fox News segments to his 71 plus million Twitter followers. He often directly quotes from Fox personality. He works to create a totally closed information ecosystem for his supporters and largely succeeds. I'm stopping. I'm not going to read any more. Because what does CNN do? What does MSNBC? We just played. We just played. Um, Lawrence O'Donnell literally saying nobody defends. CNN lets liars on. Everybody who has a different view of a situation, a policy, or anything is a liar. That's what they say. But CNN specifically, you work at CNN. These are all replies. President Michael Levante, never say never. Catholic Covington, shift piles pressure on Republican under fire. Their front lead is nothing but Democrat stories. Freedom, liberty, democracy, Dems, war, they're at stake. That guy actually said they don't even feign objectivity. Trump acted as founding fathers feared. They just hammered Saliza because it's non-stop. It's over and over and over and over. Liberal talking points. Whatever the left says is what it is. There is no opposing view. I mean, these people forget for eight fucking years we watched them with the partisan witch hunts of Obama. Fake scandals, including dead Americans. I don't need to list them. You know them. 
This has been the media since Mueller, which was found to be a total lie. This is a master cut done by Tom Nichols of them talking about Adam Schiff, who started this shit by making up a conversation that was totally fictitious and having to correct it. What did you think of the presentation by the lead house manager, Adam Schiff? I thought it was dazzling. By most accounts, it was a virtuoso performance that drew praise from all sides yesterday. I thought this was the most compelling case for removal from office of this president I had heard in all these months because it was real and it was powerful and it was important. He was speaking not just to the 100 people in the room, he was speaking to 100 years in the future. Mm. This is a speech that kids are going to be given in 2060 at, you know, at university projects and things like that. Adam Schiff did an incredible yeah. job. Mm -hmm. um, this is how you do it. You know, this, uh, this is really a I am Spartacus moment. It was a very coherent, cohesive narrative. A very, very powerful and forceful speech. I mean, his mastery of this material um, is, is, is really formidable. And he invoked the founding fathers and their words a lot. Schiff quoted Hamilton so many times today, he was nominated for five Tony Awards. But I think he did something else. And I think our, our friend John Meacham would, would call it calling on our better angels. This was a speech really aimed at the better angels. I have heard from a number of Republicans who've been impressed by Schiff's mastery of this material and his ability to weave it all together. I thought the way he wove through uh, both the facts of the case and the historical context was really remarkable. It was a stunning recitation of the facts that weave together constitutional framing, American history, and Donald Trump's laundry list of abuses of power and obstruction of Congress. Folks, it's been nonstop. He is an arbiter of truth. He's a hero. He is a founding father. He's Martin Luther King. He is lied for three years. Nothing he has said has come true. No charge, conspiracy theory, everything on Mueller was false. Everything on the Supreme Court justice was, Kavanaugh was false. That's our media. Neon Taser brings us our next one. And then we're going to play two sound bites back to back. Let's play three all together. You, from Neon Taser, you want to know what drives my apathy about impeachment? The fact that head on a pike is trending because this vague report has morphed into Trump definitely threatens senators' lives, and so nothing matters anymore, which has proven to be a false story. Then you have David Axelrod calling out that this is a bad thing for the Dems, and then you have Tucker Carlson. Nora, the House impeachment managers spent today arguing that the president didn't just abuse his power to help his own re-election, but that he did it by employing a Russian narrative that his own aides had tried and failed to debunk. Everyone else told the president time after time, this is nonsense. The, the spotlight today was on President Trump's motives for pursuing two conspiracy theories. One about the 2016 election and one about Joe Biden. The one person who told President Trump his theory is true, who was it? You know it was our adversary, Russia. And they argued that with Biden leading in the polls by last spring, Mr. Trump pressured Ukraine to launch what he hoped would be an embarrassing investigation. No president 
has ever used his office to compel a foreign nation to help him cheat in our elections. On the basis of this Russian propaganda, he withheld 400 million in military aid to a nation Russia was fighting, our ally. The president defended himself once again today in a torrent of tweets. One Trump confidant tells CBS News that GOP senators have been warned. Vote against the president and your head will be on a pike. So far, their heads appear to be safe. So far, what uh, Schiff has said, uh, we've heard before. I didn't hear anything new. They're already repeating the same points they made for 13 hours yesterday. The same Republicans saying they heard nothing new just voted nine times on Tuesday to hear nothing new. Democratic Even leader Chuck Schumer trial. cited a new Reuters poll showing seven in ten Americans want the trial to feature witnesses. Everyone here who's elected has some duty to listen to their constituents. Their constituents are saying witnesses and documents. Nancy joins us from the Hill and the Democrats have had two days now to make their case. Do we know when we'll hear from the president's legal team? Well, the Democrats get one more day tomorrow, which would put the president's defense team up at bat on Saturday. But there are some concerns that their arguments won't get as much attention if they deliver them on the weekend. So there's now some talk, Nora, of a shortened Saturday session leading to the defense team kicking off its arguments in earnest on Monday. All right, Nancy, thank you. Wait, but let me just say one thing, Aaron. Yeah. I, uh, I was in a focus group this morning for the Institute of Politics here at the University of Chicago with some Chicago Democratic voters, and it was chilling to hear them talk about this because impeachment didn't even come up. No one volunteered it for 80 minutes into the focus group. Uh, and, yeah. you know, we're right in the middle of the trial. When it came up, I thought Adam Schiff's presentation yesterday was masterful. I, I still go back and watch the 40, what, 45-year-old uh, tape of Barbara Jordan speaking about impeachment and the Constitution in 1974. It is one of the most brilliant summations I've ever seen about the Constitution and impeachment. And I studied it during the Clinton impeachment. I believe what Adam Schiff said yesterday is going to be studied 40 and 50 years from now. That's, that's how powerful that was. And I, I think it's really difficult to listen to that with an open mind and not say, gee, we ought to at least have witnesses. The United States, Schiff explained to the 19 viewers still watching confused, quote, aids Ukraine and her people so that we can fight Russia over there and we don't have to fight Russia here, end quote. Huh? Wait a second, whoever said anything about fighting Russia, much less, quote, over here? Is Putin planning to invade the homeland? Is Milwaukee safe? Do unseen Slavic saboteurs move among us? What does Adam Schiff know about World War III that the rest of us don't know? Well, unfortunately, no one on CNN or MSNBC thought to ask him that. They were too deep in bliss. To the mouth breathers on cable television, an Adam Schiff speech is like a brainstem massage. Surging waves of ecstasy flood the central nervous system. Linear thought ceases. All that's left are satisfied grunts of pleasure. A very, very powerful and forceful speech, uh, two and, almost two and a half hours by Adam Schiff. Uh, a very, very strong case from Adam Schiff. It was a very coherent, cohesive narrative, something that the White House doesn't have. This was a speech really aimed at the better angels, um, and, and I think Adam Schiff did a really great job. What did you think of the presentation by the lead House manager, Adam Schiff? I thought it was dazzling. We want to apologize to any viewers under 18 who may have just watched that. 
was obviously pornographic and not suitable for children. I mean, before I get into people actually knowing there's a Todd that he knows he's going to be acquitted, and Stefanik, who was trending on Twitter because she was thrashing the argument, here's Allison Camerata criticizing Schiff and being shut down. You know somebody was yelling in her ear. Yeah, well, listen, I think it was a political long shot from the beginning that you'd get four. Um, I think there was a moment um, when McConnell had to climb down on the resolution that there seemed to be an opening. Um, uh, but, you know, that may have closed. Um, I, I, I have to go back, though, to Schiff's closing last night. He, you know, as, as Ellie and I were talking about, he looked directly at the Republicans and played the shame card and said, if you want to, you know, the president uh, should be ashamed of himself and basically saying that if you want to you know, shove this under the rug and go home, that is a shameful act. Yeah, I thought that there was a misfire, actually, in, in um, Chairman Schiff's final closing statement to them, because what he said to them was, you know that the president isn't thinking about doing what's best for the country. That's not what they think. They think that lower taxes, they think that rolling back regulations, they think that blocking the border is what's best for the country. And so I felt like he, when he tried to say that to them, they could be like, time out. That's actually not what we think. The reason we support this president is not because we love him and think that everything he does is perfect. It's because we do think that what he's doing is best for the country. But that's neither. But, but let me just put table that for yes. a moment, if, if I could. You, you have the votes to table it. Thank, right. thank yes. you. Well, I do want to get back to Lisa Murkowski because I think that her argument was curious to just read it again, what John is basing the idea that she's moving away from witnesses. She said the House made a decision that they didn't want to slow things down by having to go through the courts. And yet now they're basically saying you guys got to go through the courts. We didn't, but we need to. But, Senator Murkowski, since then, things have happened. John Bolton has come forward. Um, in fact, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, both of them have said, if subpoenaed, we'll be happy to testify. That's different than what the House had at their disposal. Yeah. I want you to think about that soundbite for a minute. She's right that he shouldn't have said it, but that's how biased CNN is. A, she couldn't say that. She was shut down. B, it comes down to the fact that they truly believe the President of the United States, who's improved jobs, security, all the indicators show that American people find everything to be pretty damn good. Black, Latino, Woman, unemployment's down. He doesn't do what's best for America. That's a news organization. Uh, that's a news organization. So here's Stefanik trashing him, coupled with Todd. I wanted to put these together. Because he knows. He knew from the beginning. They all knew. This was Clinton impeachment all over. You weren't going to get him. And this was lesser than what Clinton did. So if you said Clinton was inappropriate then, well, how could you even argue that this is more appropriate and the worst oppressed? I mean, all the hyperbole has been coming out. This media has done it. How? When you knew it was never happening.
As we saw yesterday, this is the weakest case for impeachment in the history of this country. Uh, we continue to see how flimsy this case is, which is why there was bipartisan opposition in the House. There was bipartisan no votes when it comes to impeachment. Uh, I anticipate that we will continue to hear lies and half-truths from Adam Schiff today. Uh, he also doesn't include important testimony that every single witness testified that he or she had no direct evidence of impeachable offenses, high crimes, misdemeanors, treason or bribery. So Adam Schiff and his team can continue to speak for hours to the American public. Certainly in my district, they're tuning this out. They want us to get back on behalf of the American people and get back to work. And they want to work this out in the election. The American people have a right to decide at the ballot box. What's acquittal going to look like? And how's the, It was really interesting. Mike Braun, Lonnie, wants to have people believe, yeah. or maybe he wants to believe that somehow the president is going to have learned something here. I feels like, okay, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three, fool, uh, you know, what point do you stop counting? There are no teachable moments in this process. No one is learning anything. The president is not learning anything. Democrats are not learning anything. The notion that somehow we can arise from this and there can be some opportunity. So, no, I don't think, there's no alternative here, right? What's going to happen is the president's going to get acquitted. That's going to be it. So, I, the, the, the notion that somehow... Uh, you know, we're going to have this process and everyone is going to come out of it, you know, somehow having learned some lesson. I don't, I don't buy that necessarily, but, it, you know, we'll, we'll, yeah. What's he going to do with acquittal? I thought it was so notable. He already has a super, say he would, I mean, what, he's at the Super Bowl ad. I'm sure oh, he's going to. Absolutely. He only knows what he's going to say in that if he gets acquitted, right? And the president and his campaign are already gearing up. They're already um, blanketing the airwaves, trying to energize his base. He's going to be in Cape May on Tuesday in Iowa on Thursday. Um, he is going to use this moment to essentially try to energize his base. And the campaign is gearing up <clears> to do that. A full court press i am that is the chief political poor reporter for Na- national broadcasting company and he literally oh, what's it going to look like that's going to be horrible he's going to get off how could you even feign to have objectivity when you say a comment like that because that's our media max boot washington post former conservative and hat model Max Boot says President Trump's phone call with the Ukrainian president was worse than the actual genocide of Native Americans during the Trail of Tears and worse than FDR's internment of American citizens during World War II. If there's an historical precedence for this egregious misconduct, I'm not aware of it, and the Trump defenders haven't found one either. President Richard M. Nixon was guilty of abusing his authority, but he didn't subordinate foreign policy to his personal political interest as Trump has. He did secretly urge South Vietnam not to join peace talks in 68 to aid his campaign, but he wasn't president then. Other presidents, from Andrew Jackson with the Trail of Tears during the 1830s to Franklin D. Roosevelt with the internment of U.S. citizens and non-citizens of Japanese descent during World War II, have trampled on our values, but they always had the public purpose and usually had congressional support. So killing tens of thousands of Indians was a public person purpose. Matt Whitlock, the Washington Post opinion page, takes a short break from calling everyone Russian assets for the legendary Max Boot taking, suggesting that President Trump is somehow worse than internment camps in the Trail of Tears. Say what you want about the genocide of Native Americans, but at least it served a public pers- purpose. That was his tweet. It served a public pers- purpose. He then deleted it. There are no take-backsies with Max Boot. He's all yours, you weirdos. 
Actually, genocide is not as bad as a personal grift. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's our media. They have to make it worse than it really is. They have to make it higher than it really is because they just, they just know this is all horseshit. Horseshit. Here's Glenn Beck. Well, let me read this first. Representative, uh, this is from The Hill, Adam Schiff, the president's misconduct cannot be decided at the ballot box, for we cannot be assured that the vote will be fairly won. Adam Schiff knows they can't beat Trump, so they're trying to rig the election. Brett Baer, so does this mean voters should never trust the vote anymore? They can only trust lawmakers to decide when a president crosses the line to get kicked out and what qualifies to kick out a president, and only those lawmakers can do it, not voters, ever? Well, that's what Maisie Hirono said. Assuming he's exonerated, if he's not convicted, if he's acquitted, he'll have until November and January 20th of next year. But he might get reelected. And there's that, too. And there's a tremendous fear. And that's why whatever evidence that comes out, whatever factual information that 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 shows that this is a president who only cares about himself. And how many of those have I played? They don't want it to go to a vote. They don't want the American people to vote because if they vote, they might lose. Because they have terrible candidates, they have terrible policies that only get their base riled up and they forget that when it comes to a general election, you can't just talk to your base. But that's all the left does anymore. They don't talk to the base. Give you, give you, I'll give you that Trump is extreme on things. But when he went to that election, he talked to the base of America. What America believes about border security, abortion, guns. It's not what the coasts say. But every podcast, you hear Democrats, scholars, progressives as a whole, your opinion doesn't matter, we want to take it away. We must take it away. And the second part is Joe Biden. That's what it's about. Joe Biden. They want to protect Joe Biden. The media was so insane this week. So I was in the Senate chamber yesterday, and I was struck by how the lay of the land was not how I imagined it while I watched TV on Wednesday. thought it might be helpful to draw it out for people who aren't able to attend to help get their bearing beyond the isolated camera. And on this, this is a real journalist was saying where Alyssa Milano was sitting. That's, that's what they were doing. That that was part of this. So I'm going to play. I wasn't going to play, but I'm going to play the CNN soundbite because we just talked about what it's really about: protecting Biden, blah blah blah. I got to play this craziness that happened since our last podcast. And then when we come back in off a of music break, which today's theme is "How Soon Is Now?" covers the first one is going to be "Tattoo," those Russian skanks from a long time ago. And the second break will be Everclear, which I didn't know they did it. And for those that don't know, that's the song that closes our show. It was originally done by the Smiths. When you come off the music break, so we're going to hear CNN losing their mind. When you come off, you're going to hear Glenn Beck, all right, literally playing, and let me frame it right, uh, Stacy No Pettifong here. Oh, my God, listening again, Glenn Black reading the Joe Biden campaign instructions to the press on how to report his firing of Shokin, and I'm laughing my ass off. I am but a junior sleuth and can prove nothing about the corruption allegation is debunked. What a load of garbage. Glenn Beck calls out Joe Biden directly for commanding news outlets to ignore reporter corruption. You are a traitor to the truth, Glenn Beck says. 
And this is what has been happening. The few that have asked them questions have been scrubbed, killed, screened, ignored. Because he has told them how to fucking report. And they're doing it now because they watched them do journalistic integrity on a woman who had a shitter server and somehow, some way, she lost the election they said she was going to win. So they're not going to chance it this time. They're not going to chance it. And they're just not even reporting. So CNN, music break, Glenn Beck. Concerned about them. I, I mean, again, I just think, you know, the Republicans are winning here. The president is winning here. And a very emotional closing there from the lead impeachment manager, uh, Adam Schiff, saying, right matters, truth matters, otherwise... We are lost, getting um, choked up there. He's saying that uh, you, we can't not count on President Trump to put the American people's interests first, uh, that he will do what's right for Donald Trump and not for the American people. That is a day when they laid out the abuse of power case in the impeachment trial of this president, President Trump. It has been a- amazing, I have to be honest, to watch Adam Schiff uh, through all of this. The House impeachment managers, all of them doing very well to present their case, but to watch Adam Schiff... Uh, to become emotional and to present his arguments. It has really been a thing to watch, I think. He's very strong. He, they did a, he laid out and started the day with a broad brush of where they were going, and then they went piece by piece, a deep dive into each phase of the abuse of power. And it was very convincing. It's overwhelming evidence. Uh, it's awfully hard for anybody who listens and follows this to just brush it off. I mean, his emotional appeal to a sense of what's right, to a sense of what is right for the country is so completely compelling and persuasive to anyone who was listening about what is really at stake. They were answering the question of why does this matter? Why is this an appropriate action to have taken in terms of impeachment? Why is this not just a so what if he did it? And even if he did it, what's the consequence? Is that really the fear, the wrath of Twitter thumbs? Or should it be the fear that the democracy can go away because you no longer are able to? By not acknowledging that even Hunter Biden has said that in retrospect, he shouldn't have taken that job. And that, in retrospect, he was only hired because his last name is Biden. By not acknowledging that there is something that a lot of people might not like about it, that whether you call it swampy uh, or distasteful, uh, by not acknowledging that point, does that cost her any points in terms of the case she's making with the senators that she is trying to convince? The four Republican senators they need to vote uh, to try to get more evidence. And I think that's, I think that's a question to, to, to throw to our, to our panel. Would it have made her case stronger by saying, look, we all know this happens in Washington, D.C. Yeah. and around the world. People trade on their last name. Certainly there are people with the last name Trump that are benefiting, uh, from that, including the president, uh, but also, uh, people related to the president. But let, let's, you know, we should acknowledge that Hunter Biden has even said these th- things publicly. That doesn't merit the president pushing Ukraine for an investigation. She could have done that, but once you open the door, you know, once there's a sliver, you can... To what, facts? Drive a truck through? The truth? No, because I think that uh, Hunter Biden uh, is what he did being on the board, as we all seem to agree, was not wise. Um, It's irrelevant to the case. 
so to the case at hand, and I think she was trying to stick to the case at hand. Sure. And and I, but but I do agree with you that if there were some clever way to say, I know what you're thinking about Hunter Biden, and do it that way, and raise the Just Trump. Quote what Hunter Biden but, said. But even raising the Trump kids would have been taken the wrong way by a lot of people in sure. the Senate. So I think it's a fine line. What I think she was so good at was rebutting the Fox News theory of impeachment. And that's what she was doing, even using Fox News polls, which showed how uh, Biden was running ahead of Donald Trump by a substantial amount at the same time that the president was doing yeah, this she, and that he only did it because Joe Biden was suddenly a contender. Kelly has a master's degree in European studies from Cambridge University. Right. Also, he doesn't really say that she couldn't identify Ukraine on a map. He insinuates it's just a pet, it, it's just a petty attempt to put her down, right? Do, do, is that what this is? Of course, of course. It, it, it's it's a it's he's just trying to demean her, and it, obviously it's false. And look, he also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump, um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one in there. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. You, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading. Yeah, you're reading. You know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. All those lines on the map. <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. Sorry, I apologize. But by, but by the way, oh my God. But, but, but you know what? But, but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but, you know, but, but in all honesty, but all, blame you know what Rick. NPR should Why do? Why not? Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can wait, I tell give you what? Me a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> that was good. Sorry. Rick, you, that you, was a good one. I needed that. Okay, so listen. Can, can I tell you what? But can I tell you what NPR should do? NPR. <laughs> NPR should take a black Sharpie, circle it all around that whole subcontinent, around Bangladesh and Ukraine, and just be like, there, there's Ukraine, right in the middle. All right, so just in honor of Donald Trump. A U with a crane on it. That is hilarious. Yeah. The tactic from Sean Hannity and his colleagues on Fox News in prime time. Hannity has note cards with the same messages. He repeats the same messages every day. That is why he's often described as a propaganda arm for the White House. But hey, anyway, it's a typical strategy of dodge, deny, deflect. What they're trying to say is this is not interesting. No one's watching. And of course, ratings are actually above average for all of the channels right now. But it's also true that, I mean, the Democrats recognize that most people have jobs, have lives. They're not watching all the hours. So if they want to give people the opportunity that if you just tune in for a half an hour right. in the evening, you get the gist of why the president has been impeached. So, I, I mean, it's not just... Uh, that they want to repeat for the sake of repeating, it's that they recognize there are different audiences. There's also a strategy to. in place to get messages through to a Fox audience, to a right-wing audience that maybe hasn't heard the full story yet. Chuck Schumer, for example, blasting Fox live on Fox yesterday. That was intentional on Schumer's part. He, he believes that it's important to get a message through to a segment of the population that maybe hasn't heard. Tonight, President Trump's legal team didn't even warm up, opening their defense straight to the point. You will find that the president did absolutely nothing wrong. 
even getting personal, attacking lead House manager Adam Schiff, going after his summary of the president's phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky at the center of it all. This is the essence of what the president communicates. I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent, understand lots of it. That's fake. That's not the real call. In their two-hour presentation, the president's lawyers repeatedly discrediting the Democrats' evidence that President Trump pressured Ukraine to investigate his political rivals by withholding military aid. White House counsel Pat Cipollone kicked off the defense by casting the president as the victim of an unfair impeachment. They're asking you to remove President Trump from the ballot in an election that's occurring in approximately nine months. The president's defense team took aim at the central allegation that President Trump withheld vital aid to pressure Ukraine into investigating his campaign rival. There is simply no evidence anywhere that President Trump ever linked security assistance to any investigations. They insisted there were other reasons for the hold. Foreign aid generally was undergoing a review in 2019. The president, rightly, had real concerns about whether European and other countries were contributing their fair share to ensuring Ukraine's security. Those claims run counter to witness testimony. Was there a quid pro quo? The answer is yes. The president's attorneys also attempting to undercut the credibility of key House witnesses, including Ambassador Gordon Sondland, who spoke directly with Mr. Trump about the hold on military aid to Ukraine. You know, it's amazing. I thought um, that Adam Schiff did his absolute best. I think as a citizen, as a politician, you don't often see somebody going the distance and doing their absolute personal best at something. I got the feeling we saw that from him last night. Whether it'll work or not, especially the challenge he put to the Republican members of the Senate, do you want this man to stay in office the final months of his presidency, or is it too dangerous to let him do that? What struck me the most about the way that Adam Schiff pitched that argument is that he hit on the underlying reality here. of how Republicans have come to embrace this president and what they're doing now compared to how they've spoken about him for so long. There are so many Republicans in this building who we all know are horrified by what the president is doing. That is not my opinion. That is simply what we hear as reporters <coughs> on Capitol.
so it might as well be today. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. No publisher would ever publish one, let alone two books with these charges, if you couldn't back them up with facts. Which makes this memo even more disturbing. This is from the Biden campaign yesterday to all reporters and editors. Uh, this effort by President Trump to, uh, to weaponize foreign and national security policy and in an attempt to coerce a foreign country into lying about a rival presidential candidate must stop. This effort by the president is the reason why he's the third U.S. president to be impeached. His objective was to pressure the Ukrainian government into spending a malicious and in spreading a malicious and conclusively debunked conspiracy theory that President Biden or Vice President Biden engaged in wrongdoing when he executed official United States policy to remove a corrupt prosecutor from office. It goes on. Any media organization referencing, reporting on, or repeating these claims must state clearly and unambiguously that they have been discredited and debunked by authoritative sources, including America's European allies, the IMF, really? Leading figures of Ukraine anti-corruption community, and even the Republican members of the House and Senate and Trump administrations testifying under oath. It is malpractice to ignore this truth. It is not Democrats or the Bidens who say GOP's claims are wrong in this regard. It's everyone who isn't gaslighting for Donald Trump. Not only is there no evidence for the GOP's malicious attacks on the vice president, those attacks have been actively um, uh, debunked. No political entity, not the Republican Party, Democratic Party, not Biden or the Trump campaign, should ever be allowed to act as your editors. Except here's three pages saying what you can and cannot say, what you must say, or it is journalistic malpractice. If you've watched any of our specials, you tell me where that malpractice is. Not one media source has taken this program or any of those facts on head on. Not one. If you're going to call us a liar, Joe Biden, perhaps you should back it up. You're not dealing with the usual run-of-the-mill liar politician. They're all lying. We look for the truth. Bring it on. It's malpractice and borderline, no, it's full treason of the truth. You are a traitor to the truth. Go ahead. Show me where we're wrong. The problem is, it gets worse. If you're not on the regular networks, you see reporting and it's not done by fox or conservative sites laura ingram reveals email tying alleged whistleblower to obama white house meeting on Burmisa. the chain centers on a request from new york times reporter ken vogel in may 2019 vogel sends an email to state department official kate schilling about a story 
he was working on regarding an Obama-era meeting with Ukrainian prosecutors. In his request, Vogel mentions a name who some have reported is the whistleblower. We have not yet confirmed his name, so we're blacking it out. Ingram read the email from Vogel, which stated, we're going to report the State Department official as Elizabeth Zentos attended a meeting on the White House on January 19, 2016, with Ukrainian prosecutors and embassy officials. The subject discussed include efforts with the United States government to support prosecutions in the Ukraine and United Kingdom of Burmese, holding and concerns that Hunter Biden's position with the company could complicate such effort. On May 1st, State Department official Kate Schilling forwards Vogel's email to her colleague Santos and George Kent remembered him. Remember him? He was one of the House Democrats' all-star impeachment witness. According to Schilling's email, Kent has previously been a source for Vogel. I wonder how many times. Follow-up email revealed the conversations ended on May 3rd when the State Department eventually declined to comment. Ingram said that her show confirmed that meeting by looking through the archives of the Obama White House visitor log, which she said showed the alleged whistleblower, checked his name, numerous Ukrainian officials in the White House on January 19, 2016, the day Vogel claimed there was a meeting on the Mermisa and Biden. Also at the meeting were Ukraine's lead anti-corruption prosecutor and the head of the Anti-Corruption Bureau, both of whom were there to discuss the complications of Biden's sweetheart gig. So what happened to that New York Times story about the 2016 meeting? Pretty hot, don't you think? It was never published. We asked Vogel, the reporter, why nothing ever came of it. He didn't respond. Ingram then noted the importance of the timeline of events with respect to the New York Times looking into the meeting in May 2019. The timing of the request and subsequent squashing of the story are very interesting. Biden announces candidacy on April 25th, 2019. Yeah. There's something there. But with all of these, do you hear it on CNN? How about this one? Sean Davis, in a blockbuster ruling that FISA court declared the least two of four Carter Page spy warrants were illegal, meaning any evidence collected from the surveillance is now invalid. This could have been a huge implication for every case brought by Mueller. Judge Jane Brosberg, the current federal judge presiding over the FISA court, wrote an order at least two of the four FISA applications against Page were unlawful. Unlawful. Additionally, according to this order, the Department of Justice similarly concluded following the release of the sprawling investigative report on the matter by the agency inspector general that the government did not have probable cause that Page was acting as an agent of foreign power. The FISA law states that American citizens cannot be secretly spied on by the U.S. government absent probable cause based on valid evidence that an American is unlawfully acting as a foreign agent. All this sequestration is a huge deal. It suggests FBI, DOG, DOJ is firewalling off all the data and information collected via Page's FISA, likely because they realized it was illegal and fruit from a poison tree. That's the whole Mueller investigation. Thrown out. You'll never hear it on CNN. Matt Woking Senate Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley sent a six-page letter to the Defense Department yesterday, plus four attached exhibits totaling over 20 pages. The subject, Stephen Halper, who was being paid by the DOD while he was spying on Trump campaign officials for the FBI. Grassley opens the letter by blasting DOD for stonewalling and lying to him for four months about relevant documents. DOD paid Halper to work with the Russian former Deputy Foreign Minister Tabuskinov, a known Russian intelligence officer named by Christopher Steele as a source in the now-debunked dossier. Did Halper use taxpayer money to target the Trump campaign? Yeah. 
Grassley points out that Halper's work for DOD was also being funded in part by unknown third parties and that Halper was paid by DOD for working he did not actually do. Obviously, he's raised a key question. Was DOD play, paying Halper for a different unmentioned purpose? Grassley raises questions about whether Stephen Halper's work for DOD at taxpayer pence was influenced by foreign individuals or entities. Seems like good question given Halper's collaboration with known Russian intelligent officers. Three very key questions here. How compromised by foreign influence was Stefan Halper, and did DOD officials know about it? If DOD knew Halper had a relationship with the Russian intelligence, and if DOD was paying Halper for different unmentioned purposes, maybe the two are related. This is one of many after the facts. The Obama administration was illegally, illegally, conducting themselves to hamper an opponent's campaign. And we are now in an impeachment where we say the President of the United States, by withholding aid, are talking about the 2016 election to a foreign leader was an abuse of power and trying to hamper a duly elected official. Stopping the people from being able to make their own decision. A decision they don't want them to make, because then I play... Soundbite after soundbite after soundbite of them saying we can't let this go to the election. The American people are stupid. They won't vote for us because we're crooked fucks. We have spent fucking four years that somebody rigged and stole an election. And for the 20 millionth time on this podcast, only the Democrats stole an election from Bernie Sanders. They're the only people that have done it. And now they're trying to run a coup supported by the media. But whenever they do bring somebody over to talk, this is what happens. Snuffleupagus giving a throat cut at 3 p.m. Eastern to a Republican talking about the impeachment because they didn't want that information to get on their air because they're just a PR firm for the DNC. For the president's allies, some players in this trial, Lindsey Graham, Alan Dershowitz, even the attorney general, have made statements to the effect of abusive power is impeachable. You know, we've got something very different than what you're hearing up here. Uh, you're hearing, you know, video clips of testimony. We've got lawyers that are going to be put forward when this, when our side of the case goes. That represents multiple schools of thought on what is and is not an impeachable offense. But they have one thing in common that the actions alleged and the actions of the president do not reach that level, no matter which school of thought you're on. And we're not afraid to put out both of those schools of thought because our position is you still have to meet basic, fundamental constitutional obligations, and they have it. Next. How much more work do you think you have to convince that room? I'm sorry. How much more work do you think you have ahead to try and convince that room? And that is uh, Jay Sekulow right there. And let's bring in uh, our panel to talk a little bit about that. You just saw something a little bit new from Jay Sekulow. They're going to be making the argument that whichever constitutional interpretation you have, they're going to say it's not an impeachable offense. That's our media. That is our media, which is where we're at now. I've got a soundbite of Megan McCain that's pretty good stuff. We'll play it on the back end. Matthew Keyes, breaking. Washington Post suspends reporter Felicia Gomez over Kobe Bryant tweets, launches investigation into whether tweets were posted a few hours after Bryant's death violated Post 
social media policy. Her tweet, Kobe Bryant disturbing rape case, the DNA evidence, the accuser story, and the half confession. 10,000 people literally who have commented and kneeled to me with abuse and death threats. Please take a moment and read the story, which was written three plus years ago and not by me. Any public figures we're working, remember, in their totality. Even if the public figure is beloved and that totally unsettling, the folks responsible with rage and threats towards me, someone who didn't even write the piece but found it well reported, speaks volumes about the pressure people come under to stay silent in these cases. She wasn't suspended for the article, they say, but when she did a print screen, it gave out people's emails. Some of the stuff, I didn't see people saying, hey, I'm going to kill you. Amy Kearns, let me explain this to you because you don't seem to, too bright. Kobe Bryant, his teenage daughter, died today, mere hours ago, in a horrific accident. There is a wife and mother and three other children who are living a nightmare. The time to have this discussion is not now. Was my ex terrible to me? Yes. Would I appreciate it or tolerate anyone bad-mouthing him after his death in ways my boys would see or hear? Absolutely not. Let the people who love him have their memories, especially now. Autonomous Collective, you could have waited until after the funeral. There's still an accident scene. Shameful. Another one. Let me explain this to you. Oh, it's a repeat of the first one. Somebody retweeted it. Sorry. Um, shut up. We don't need you and your fake sympathy. This is not normal behavior. So you finally paused when you rage tweeting to mention that Kobe Bryant died. You're scum. Keep Comey's name out of your mouth, bitch. Always there at the right time with right words. Trump manages to bungle even the simplest condolence message. Everyone but him knows it was Kobe and four others. Because somebody tweeted, Trump did better than you. Why did I cover it? They do this every conservative. Every conservative it is. Today, Ronald Reagan passed away and he gave gay people AIDS. I mean, that's pretty much what they said. For three days, there's a but. That went on for ten days. A but, but, but. But. Here's another journalist. Adam Best. This is about the Warren incident that we played on our last podcast. This voter's a complete jerk to Warren, but she keeps her cool even when he gets angry. Compare this to how Biden often lashes out when someone challenges him on the campaign trail. After Trump, we should be eager to elect a poised president who stays calm under pressure. This voter argument is absurd, too. I feel for him, but we shouldn't want to block progress just because it didn't happen soon enough to help us individually. That's not how we collectively move forward as a society. Never mind the fact that he's right and she has no answer. You're praising her for blowing off legitimate concern, a reply states. Others are shut your fucking face. She doesn't have an answer for anything. And neither does, surprisingly, Hillary Clinton, who this week participated in a Hulu panel discussion and was covered by the New York Times, or no, the LA Times. This is the article I grabbed. Uh, Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Preston Pastina really started out maybe a campaign documentary because we had about 17 hours of behind-the-scenes footage, said Clinton, who noted nothing was off-limits. But Nanette, who I was very impressed with when we interviewed her as a person who was going to direct the film, came back and was like, look, this is a bigger story. I need to be told. It's part of the arc of women, history, and advancement. So I'm not running for anything. I'm not in office. So I said, sure, why don't we get it a try? So off we went. Here's a rundown of what Clinton had to say during the panel. On women and likability, will we ever get past it? 
I sure hope so, because it's really an unfair double standard and disadvantage. I'm certainly in the camp that believes that the more women we get out there, whether it's politics, entertainment, journalism, or anything else, the more we should realize that women have the same right to have a full range of emotion approaches to how they make decisions. You know, that's not the case. You just had resting bitch face and worn lies. There's a total difference. You are an evil succubus. And Warren is the biggest liar on the planet. On being a polarizing figure. I became a kind of Rorschach tech for women in women's roles as soon as I burst into the public scene when Bill was running for president. You know, I lived more than 40 years before I had no real understanding what it meant to be thrust in the highest, brightest platform and try to live your life and try to go along with what you've always done. For example, when Bill asked me to lead our effort on universal health care, it seemed pretty standard to me because i done so many things in Arkansas. Little did I know that it would create the most extraordinary backlash of the first lady to be involved in trying to make sure everybody has a quality, affordable health care in our country. Part of it was the timing that I came on a national scene and what I chose to do with my extremely controversial, the fact that I was the first lady of my generation and had been working ever since I was a young woman. No, you want to do single pair. Americans don't want single pair. And nothing to do with you. And to the point, first ladies don't do that shit. Only Democrat first ladies do policy. You had your own policy wing of the White House. Nobody elected you. To this day, they've only elected you for Senate. That's it. And what she hopes American voters take away from the documentary. But the Tannis runs will be right in the thick of Super Tuesday, so we'll have our first contest behind us. So maybe by that time the field will have clarified and we'll have a better idea who will likely end up with enough delegates to be the nominee. I think the most important message is we are, and I say we, that's the side I'm on. I'm on the side of the inclusive, generous, open-hearted country that fades up the future and tries to bring people together. We're in a real struggle with the form of politics. It's incredibly negative, exclusive, mean-spirited, and it's going to be up to every voter, not only people who vote in Democrat primaries, to recognize this is no ordinary time. This is an election with such profound impact. Take your vote seriously. And for Democratic voters, try to vote for the person you think is more likely to win. Because at the end of the day, that is what matters. And not just the popular vote, but the electoral college. <laughs> so I want people to take their vote really, really seriously because Lord knows what will happen if we don't retire the current incumbent. Who is negative? Is it Republicans? Or is it Democrats, my friends? Anybody out there? It's Democrats. It's always been Democrats. You're un-American. You're a racist. You're KKK. You're a Nazi. Jesus Christ. That's all we hear. Politics is negative because of people like you, Hillary Clinton. And lastly, what people can do to create change. I don't mean to be very overly simplistic or put on my nose rose-colored lenses. Vote. Please vote. It's almost a truism to say that we can look at what's happening politically in our country right now and be so discouraged, so frustrated, even disgusted, that it just turns you off. Why is it any way participant participate or contribute to that absolute craziness. I don't have to be, it doesn't have to be that way. It wasn't so long ago when we had a president where we didn't have to worry every morning that we woke up about what was going to happen that day or what crazy tweet would threaten war. So there's no substitute for voting. Second thing with media, we've got to understand, to somehow understand 
that you can't make good decisions in a democracy if we can't even agree on basic facts. The final thing is, we've got to figure out how to have more constructive relationship with social media. I'm worried because everything I just said about what can hamper in a political realm is amplifying the realm of social media. Yeah. She's still doing the Russian thing. And I cover this not to bash Hillary. It is 2020. She is still being interviewed. Did you see interviews of Romney? How about Gore? That's the problem with Democrats. They don't go away. They don't even have the honor that they lost and walk away. It's always, it was stolen, it was taken. It's what they always do. If George W. Bush would have lost to fucking Kerry, do you think he would have fought it? He would have bowed out and gone the fuck away. If the votes were there and Electoral College said what it was, he would have walked away. He would have walked away. She's never admitted she lost an election. And the media still treats her like she's a leader in her country. She doesn't lead anything but the divisiveness and rancor she's saying we need to get rid of. Jesus Christ. So, we're going to go into military corner, but it's a political one, because we're still talking about Vindman, and once again, a Republican woman spoke, and the media attack her. Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee is on the attack. Her target, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. Of course, he is the National Security Council aide, Iraq War veteran, and Purple Heart recipient, who testified before Congress talking about the Ukraine scandal. In a series of tweets, uh, the senator questioned Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's patriotism. She also made a number of smears and unfounded claims. In a statement, Vindman's attorney, David Pressman, wrote in part, This difficult moment in our country calls for seriousness and seriousness of purpose. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman has sacrificed enormously for our country that a member of the Senate, at a moment when the Senate is undertaking its most solemn responsibility, would choose to take to Twitter to spread slander about a member of the military is a testament to cowardice. Retired Rear Admiral John Kirby is seen as military and diplomatic analyst. He's here with us uh, right now. Uh, you know, it's really sickening when you think about this, uh, John, uh, what this senator is doing to this Iraq War veteran, right. son of Soviet uh, Jewish immigrants to the United States, came here without anything, settled in Brooklyn. He wound up at the State University of New York at Binghamton, then Harvard, went into the military 20-plus years ago, served in Iraq, and now she's claiming he's not even patriotic. Yeah, I mean, of all the people in this entire sad saga of impeachment, he's the only one that actually has literally bled for his country. And I think he deserves uh, the credit and the credibility that goes along with that. Look, you can argue whether... You think he was the right guy for the job at the NSC or whether he had enough experience. I think there's a weak arguments. He clearly does. But you could make those cases. But to question his patriotism and his loyalty to the country when he has shed blood for it and when he has an impeccable service record, I think is beyond the pale. You know, it's just a stunt. Mm-hmm. It, it is a stunt because it's like, notice me, Mr. President. Raise your hand. Notice me. Look at this. Look at this on Twitter. Please retweet me. Mm-hmm. Tell me you love me. Tell me you like <laughs> me. Please. 
And, and it's just embarrassing for her. And I mean, it's mortifying, honestly. And um, I think it's just a way to try and get noticed during this trial when you're supposed to keep your mouth shut. Yeah, I, uh, and you're not supposed to be doing what exactly what she's doing. And it's sort of saying, look, I'm not taking this garbage seriously. And and look at this guy, Vindman, and Mr. President, aren't I fabulous? Right. And I think Gloria is exactly right here. And we've seen this work before. I mean, we were on this panel a couple of days ago talking about Martha McSally and her uh, response to a very a good question from Manu Ra. And she uh, basically called him a liberal hack, got all sorts of adoration uh, from Trump, from Trump's followers, from Fox News. And so I think this is exactly uh, what we're dealing with. This is how you get attention. Uh, This is how you get support in the Trump era. He has set the tone. Uh, She sounds very Trumpian in in going after a uh, someone who bled for this country in the way that he went after John McCain uh, when John McCain was living and after John McCain died. So I I think this is what we see. And and also, it's you know, she's a former House member. Now she's in the Senate. Uh, in, in, in a way, we had come to see folks in the House as kind of more in, in keeping with this kind of, uh, you know, attacks and, and this sort of mean-spirited thing. But now we see it, I think, in the Senate as well. They, well the, the other thing, John, that's interesting about it is, and, and I think the Admiral <laughs> said this, you can criticize Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. You can criticize sure. the things he said. You can criticize his testimony. You can say, you know, his position that the, you know, that, that he came from a position of, like, I know better than President Trump. Those are all completely fair mm-hmm. arguments to make against him. But to repeat Internet smears, Twitter smears, smears, and to question the patriotism of a soldier who has literally, as the admiral says, literally bled for his country, uh, that kind of thing used to be beyond the pale. Right. He stepped into the arena. He had the courage to defy the president and to testify. The president did not want anyone to testify. So he made himself fair game, if you will, for political discourse. You want to question his what he said, you want to question his, that's all fair game. To question his patriotism is reprehensible. It is reprehensible, and to do it by retweeting falsehoods, demonstrably false things. The world chimed in on this. Her tweet was attacked by the left, but people said the following. And as plenty of reminded Democrats and never-Trumpers along the way, the president himself sets foreign policy, not the bureaucrats who work under him and were far often holdovers to the previous administration, which had far different foreign policy priorities. Blackburn's tweet was so out of line that it even got her in trouble with impeachment task force members like Alyssa Milano. You're bad at this, really bad, like maybe the worst. Sandra, Marshall Blackburn is good as this, really good, like maybe the best. Skip Tracer, if Marshall Blackburn doesn't face some kind of censure for this, the GOP needs to stop pretending it respects our soldiers, Marines, sailors, and airmen. Um, CBS, Duckworth came out, slams her colleagues by attacking Colonel Vindman, President Trump's impeachment trial. Look, we absolutely thank all veterans for their service to the country, but we also have no intentions of being put into another Greta Thunberg situation, somebody said. Who is Vindman? He's not immune to criticism. Another one, don't you lecture anyone what it, what it is or what not to be an American. Question is loyalty? The guy should be tried for insubordination. These are vets. Simply wearing a uniform does not protest, protect the stupid. Tail gunner Joe McCarthy served in the military. While most who serve are honorable, it doesn't mean all of them are. Where was she when Democrats and the MSM attacked Mattis, Kelly, Flynn, McMaster? Selective outrage. Spare me the dramatics. A lot of us serve. They doesn't give him a pass on being complicit in the presidential impeachment. Sorry. Why was it okay to shaft Lieutenant General Flynn? 
Her same argument is why Trump held aid, because our corruption is wrong. Are we going to allow candidates or families to be above reports because they're running for office? Vindman is a disgrace from the army hiding behind the uniform playing a liberal hack. And he's right. He's right. What he did was inappropriate. It was inappropriate. And to make matters worse, bombshell. Can't make this up. Who was in charge of reviewing all NSC publications, including John Bolton's new bombshell book that just leaked to the New York Times? Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman's twin brother. And people asked, why is he working in the White House? So he was in the NSC. Him and Vindman are libs. And they went after the president. And my question is, the media, because this is a military corps that's media-verse, the media will defend anybody who brings out rats or does anything on a conservative president. How many officers got shit and soldiers under Clinton? How many? It's uncountable. But it's our media. Here's that Megan McCain. And I can't remember her name. She used to be on MSNBC. She's on the... She's on the fucking circus. She's a fucking hack. But even she says things are fucked up. Uh, the media is completely biased. And what's happened now, as I look Biased politically? Oh, 100%. Yes. They're, oh, they're bi- you work for Fox News. Oh, pl- I, Fox- I think there's another side to the story. Of course, Bill. Of course. But, the, but Fox News was born and did so well because it was the okay. only voice but, offering okay. the other side of the coin. I, and the rest of the media was biased towards the You know left. what the media is biased towards? Money. They're biased toward money and conflict because that's what sells. I don't, I don't think, I, look, I, I was watching the Virginia rally this week. There was a gun rally. It was peaceful. And you could see how disappointed the media was that the Civil War didn't break yeah, out. Right, right, of course. That's what I think the media bias is, more, more than politics. No, because, look, I, I, I think there was a liberal slant in the media even before Trump got in there, but he went in there and now, like, take CNN. He came in there and said, CNN is completely biased to the left. They, they, they're, they're lefties. They're, they're completely against me. And my take on it was, in the beginning, he was wrong. CNN wasn't that way. I used to watch CNN all the time when I was at Fox. When I was getting ready for the Kelly file, I'd have on CNN, and I'd watch a lot of their shows. And I like a lot of the anchors over there. But my view is... CNN became the thing Trump said they were and they weren't, and now they are. But now they're, they're indistinguishable from MSNBC. I was uh, watching the impeachment all week, and I was trying to think of what would be the, the names of, like, um, you know, movies when they make it about Trump, and I thought there are so many titles that come to mind. A Clockwork Orange would be good. <laughs> you know, say Anything and uh, Hairspray and... <laughs> From Russia with love, and they saved Hitler's brain. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, but honestly, the movie is Julius Caesar. Mm. That's where we are. If you remember your Roman history, and I'm sure very few people do, mm-hmm. but Shakespeare wrote a play about it. There have been movies about it, and before that, it was real history. This is the moment in America that Rome faced with Julius Caesar. When the Republic became a dictatorship. I know they're going to acquit him. But the fact that we had this trial and there was no witnesses and and we don't care about laws anymore or rules or what matters. When it goes from nation of laws, Republic 
to Senate that just goes along and might is right. That's that moment. I know this sounds overly dramatic. No, it's not. It's it's, not. It, it's heartbreaking. I mean, I think it's farce, it's, it's farce that there are Republican senators in the audience with fidget spinners, right? That's something to sort of chuckle at. But when you think about the gravity of the moment, this is a test of liberal democracy. This is, does the project work? Or has one party become so corrupted by power that they're shredding the basic principles of, of what the country stands for? The right. The left wants to say it's a bunch of white supremacists, KKK, whatever. The fact of the matter is the only reason why Fox News is in existence because if you go on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS, New York Times, WAPO, it is the same story. Left, 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 left. They're all parroting, and then eventually it all turns out to lie. How in the flying fuck could you as an honest, middle-of-the-country American trust anything the media is putting out after fucking Russia? It was nonstop. He's going to jail. He's going to be impeached. Nothing. They found something. It's nothing. And then they impeached him, and it's bullshit. It's been lies. Smoking gun. Impeachment 200 times. I've played it a million times. It's a hot garbage fire. And why isn't Vinman outed? If this was Obama and his brother was the NSC and he tried to get information on Obama and they were doing an impeachment, which never would have happened in our media environment, do you think Vinman would be God? I don't think so. Next thing, Trump unveils new Space Force seal. I can't believe nobody's going off on this. It is Star Trek. I, I, who the fuck approved this? Then, more importantly, and that's why I kind of made it a military corner slash media, 34 troops now diagnosed with concussion TBI symptoms following Iran attack. Now, we were told during it, why would you trust the military? There were no casualties. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Nobody died. I haven't even read an article on this. This was so huge that it was... They're all lying. There are 80 dead soldiers, MSNBC said. Well, now it proves that after the fact and after evaluation, there were some casualties. Nothing, Burger. All the histronics about that attack, now you don't hear a thing. Because they don't give a fuck about soldiers. Then we have this one. Air Force E-11A networking plane has crashed in Afghanistan, top general confirms. Taliban saying they, they, they shot it down. Nobody knows. And what the fuck was it doing there? It was in Ganzi province. General urged caution on initial reporting come out over social media and other outlets. In my experience, first reports are always wrong. We don't even know the casualty count yet. Which is insane. Just fucking insane. Now, to go out of order, I got to do this because I I just got a hot flash from bro in Oregon. And I want to make sure I don't forget this. Where are you at? Let me pull it up. Okay, I got it. I'll put it in the gun section. We're doing a gun thing. He got me some good shit. So we'll definitely throw that in the pile. All right, then to our fun uh, military corner, and then we're going to do our last music break and go into news and social media nuggets. 
This week was my favorite time of the year back in the day because it was SHOT Show. I used to love going to SHOT Show. I had so much fun at SHOT Show. My buddy, Jerry Dempsey, I'll say his last name. Um, he was the first one to get me to go because we didn't get a go as a retail guy. And then I got to go from that point on. Um, it was a lot of fun. Really, really, really enjoyed it. <clears throat> But, of course, I don't work there. So here's an article from a little gal from, um, I want to say this is the Daily Caller. And she did the 15 awesome things she saw. More than 65,000 people gathered in Las Vegas, Nevada this week for the nation's largest annual gun industry convention, SHOT Show 2020, organized by the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Uh, more than 2,000 exhibit manufacturers and companies crammed at 13-acre Sands Convention Center. That's a good place to go. It's physically impossible for a single visitor to see everything. You're full of shit. I saw the whole thing in one day. I was skinned the fuck up. I mean, I literally had sweat rings because I covered everything. But it, it, it's like, it's basically a 12-mile walk, and you go to everything. Um, but after just two days of being tightly surrounded by guns, ammunition, Navy SEALs, military dogs, tactical gear, camouflage, America flags, plus uh, booth hose. That's always my favorite part. My faith has been restored in the status of freedom of the Second Amendment in this country. Since SHOT Show is now open to the general public, only gun industry business people who buy guns or gear at wholesale and gun-related media are allowed in. I'm excited to share some of the more impressive or interesting products. One, SIG P365SAS uh, is one of the most popular choices for concealed carry pistol. That thing is sexy as shit. She then had two fun 22LR uh, pistols, the Glock 44 and the Ruger Mark IV. SIG Crossbolt Action Rifle. Shooting a target for 500 yards is not something I had done before or even known how easy it can be, but she did. Old-timey Western-style revolvers, red dot sights out the big wazoo, SIG's Romeo 1 and an Aimpoint model uh, for a Glock. California-compliant weapons because all their stupid shit. Bunch of dogs. Trigger gun cleaning mats, which is pretty cool by TechMac. Grenades. Flashbang smoke. Silencer shop, cute and fluffy decoys and target practice, prairie dog practice targets were really cool, and the spinning critter tails, those are kind of cool. Heavy duty artillery, Madeline Osborne, the rounds on top of this mini tank were no longer than an average human. It was uh, basically remote, remote fired um, drones that we talked about, they're like little tanks. Semi-trailer, mobile range, arming women shooters. Karen Butler started the Shoot Like a Girl movement, which invites women to shoot guns and bows with instruction, and they came there and got to have a great time. And lastly, the Freedom Cabinet. The Freedom Cabinet was designed by metal artist Shane Henderson in his garage. It quickly went viral. It cost $8,000. It's a lot of money, and I don't know why the fuck you'd buy that. So, there it is. Let's go to Everclear. How soon is now? And this chopped up fucking show, and we'll come into news, social, media nuggets.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. In this that is me, the dead are rolling over. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. I'm Gavin Phillips with Campus Reform. We're in Washington, D.C. today at the March for Life, talking to young pro-lifers about misconceptions that people have about them and why they're pro-life. We want to pray to end abortion. It's nice to see a bunch of like Christians and non-Christians all coming together to fight for the cause of life. I'm just here to protect all the unborn because life is so precious and God created every life for its reason. The left likes it claim to be the party of science when in reality the science is that life does begin a conception that there's developmental stages you know inside of the womb and outside of the womb i think it's very important that we make sure that all human lives are protected especially the most vulnerable among us and you know, who's more vulnerable than babies right it's easy to get discouraged uh because it seems like the, the media is really good at making it seem like you're like kind of on your own and your opinions and your views and stuff so um i just wanted to come and kind of encourage myself and encourage others so they see honestly i'm already encouraged and hasn't begun yet there's so many people who agree with us and that we don't stand alone and that they agree with what god's opinion is of life what's your elevator pitch the next generation on why they should be pro-life um in many of the same ways that um uh, we look back and regret um not having done something about some of the worst atrocities of our time be it the holocaust be it um american chattel slavery um i think um time will bear that this is a stain um, on both our nation's conscience and our individual conscience if we say nothing and do nothing. We're all made in the image of God. Everyone has equal value and you shouldn't just get to kill another human being because it may be inconvenient to you. Throughout the course of history when people have tried to redefine human life, we've gotten to messy situations. I mean, that was a justification, justification for slavery. That's a justification for the Holocaust. And really, this is a similar situation. I mean, you've got millions of dead babies every year. We can't, we can't tolerate that. You're taking away an unborn child and they try to mask it with just saying it's their choice but at the end of the day what about their choice you know they're they're, they're they try to say the fetus like as a label but it's an unborn child at the end of the day honestly if you're going to say to let's just say anyone that they shouldn't discriminate against someone else because of some characteristic that they can't change like someone's skin color ethnicity you know, you, you can't be making your own exceptions for where someone is in the stage of development. They're still a person. What are misconceptions you think people have about pro-lifers? Uh, I think the biggest misconception is that we're only pro-birth and not pro-life and that you know we only want the babies to be born and not uh, to take care of these people after uh, they're born throughout their lives because a lot of conservatives don't support, you know, massive welfare states and things like that. You know, my response to that is that, you know, as, personally as a Catholic, 
uh, we're letting the state do a lot of what the Catholic Church should be doing in terms of charity. Well, I think just as a whole movement, they like to say that it's just an old white man Christian thing, but we see there's a multitude of younger people, multitude of women. There's a bunch of people all coming together for the same cause, and it's a really beautiful thing to see here. What are misconceptions you think people have about the pro-life movement? Um, I think the misconceptions are that it's anti-woman. A lot of people will say that you know it's a, it's a woman's right to choose, and they, they kind of act like that there's that there's things inside of the womb that can't be duly applied outside of the womb. Like, you know, your choice, your body, but it's really not. It's somebody else's life, and it's just not yours to mess with. I mean, one person's like, recklessness shouldn't have to cause another person's life to end. Science proves that from, you know, genetically distinct individual human beings from conception and on. So, uh, yeah, support life, oppose abortion. I had to start a college crazy with students. Those are students, young people, talking about abortion. And though we'll do our uh, March for Life next podcast, I don't think the numbers are what the media wants you to believe. I just don't. I mean, I, I see more and more of these marches are young people, and there was a lot. I have a time-lapse photo. Media just ignores it. They don't even cover it. And when they do, they call anti-abortion rights, anti-gun legislation, safety. I mean, it's always anti. And that is the implicit bias I speak of. Professor said white people take up space. Now says whites can't decide what's racist. Sammy Shake. This is your semi-annual reminder that white people do not get to determine what is and is not racist. As a person of color calls you a racist, it's probably because you did something racist, whether you can recognize it or not. Now back to your regular scheduled programming. That's what's teaching our kids. Students nationwide fight a ban facial recognition technology on campus. Once again, they will censor everybody's words and thoughts and religion and rights. But when they feel anything, oh my God, they lose it. CNET reported that at least two more California campuses have implemented facial recognition technology, Stanford and University of Southern California. But privacy advocates are now speaking out against the use of this technology, particularly on college campuses. This type of invasive technology poses a profound threat to our basic liberties, civil rights, and academic freedom. Schools that are are already using this technology are conducting unethical experiments on their students. Students and staff have the right to know if their administration are planning to implement biometric surveillance on campus, said Deputy Director of Fight for Future, Fight for Future, Evan Greer. Greer is part of a nationwide camp- campaign called Ban Facial Recognition, encouraging individuals to take a stand. Students, faculty, alumni, and community members are signing petitions calling for the complete ban on the non-personal use of facial recognition on the campus. I'm not going to read anymore. This is so fucking hypocritical. When your rights are infringed, you guys lose your goddamn mind. When a ban on people coming to this country for a short time due to concerns over terrorism, you lose your mind. But when Democrats do it, you ignore it. You cannot be for civil liberties and freedom when you restrict other people's freedom. That's why the right and the left do not have the carte blanche of being people that are for freedom. They are nothing more than people who push for their individual agenda. Two, 
gay shit. Hey, 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 bow, 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 little pump in the cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. You really hurt my feelings. What? All I did was like you. You barely talked to me on rehearsal. I'm just so sick of people hiding their feelings. I'm about to have my first kiss with Skylar Burns, and I kind of wish she was with. Yeah, 154 texts later. Why are we in a drag club? Because it doesn't matter where a choir gets to perform. Just that we make music together. Also, the lighting is impeccable. You guys, go ahead. You're better off without it. Uh, then just stay and listen. I know you're in pain. But I also know that music is your connection to what I call God. So shut up and notice the love all around you. And if you get a chance, order the Huevos Rancheros. What am I supposed to do? Sit around and wait for you. Well, I can't do that. And there's no turning back. I need time to move on. I need love to feel strong. Cause I've had time to think it through. And maybe I'm too good for you. Oh, What's going on at the GCPD? Protesters are taking to the steps of the GCPD, demanding that they turn on the bat signal. Sometimes the city surprises you.
that is our major networks pushing pushing the gay agenda. You uh, first heard ABC airs Tweens Gay Kiss. They're not even teenagers. These are young little kids. And I used to watch the show, but I stopped because it was just kind of stupid. It didn't really go anywhere. I don't know. I just lost interest. I had nothing to do with the gay shit. They'd already brought out that the kid, kid was gay. Then you had um, NBC sitcom has choir sing Ave Maria in a gay drag club. Perfect Harmony can be a charming show that offers shows a positive, loving image of rural Christian churchgoers. While the show also goes off-key at times a portrayal of rural Christians, it was steered clear of pushing contemporary sexual agenda. This week's episode, Regionals, changed that by incorporating omnipresent drag culture with Christian prayer. The show ends with a church member singing refrain of Ave Maria on stage at a gay drag bar. And then, of course, you heard Batwoman with all cops are homophobes. Yeah. Armenia just loves this gay shit. So do our colleges, which is why our college crazy was so short, because it was more gay shit. UNCW ditches women's studies to make way for gender studies. There are no women. Ha <laughs> ha. That takes one of my biggest criticisms away. Son of a bitch. Effective January 1st, the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, renamed its Women's Studies and Resource Center for Gender Studies and Research Center. The new name came after a unanimous vote by Center's Advisory Board in October 2019. Center was originally designed to provide students, faculty, staff, and those in the greater Wilmington community with opportunities to experience diverse facets of women's lives, hopes, and concerns. Scrub that shit. Uh, campus, local, and winter community partners through online teaching, blah, 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 blah. Change from focusing on women to gender better serves the mission of the center and keeps current with the important issues that tr- that trend in the larger field of gender studies. Stackowicz says the new change will allow better support for both cisgender and trannies because that's what it's all about. Georgia professor, judgments of gender identities are not bio- biology. Let's find this one out. Law professor Greg Bloch says the acceptance of transgender female athletes competing against biological female athletes and vice versa are matters of culture and politics, not biology. Fuck biology, we didn't study that shit. In an op-ed published Monday by The Hill, Block offers rebuttal to a Tennessee state lawmaker bill that would require athletes to complete at their assigned gender on the birth certificate. It passed the bill to require schools that violate the law to pay a $10,000 fine. But Block argues the difference inherent in transgender females playing against biological females, for example, are no different than other differences among athletes that have long been prevalent in sports. Myriad influences, environmental, genetic, and mixture of both, produce differences in athletic capabilities and performance. Without these differences, sports would be insufferably dull. Every competition would yield a tie, or worse, a winner decided by dumb luck. So we allow some differences in capability to affect sports outcomes without calling out those with an edge as cheaters. Indeed, we admire many of these advantages, whether they believe they're bestowed by God or good fortune. We praise competitors for their strength, speed, endurance, agility, toughness, discipline, resolve, and more, he adds. Social norms help society determine what's fair and what isn't. So cultural change off the field has no impact on understanding of athletic fairness. Movement toward gender equality is driving the dissolution of rules differences between men and women competitions and growing acceptance of gender identity and subjectivity experience, not a anatomics, is driving change and understanding of which advantages are and aren't fair when women and men compete separately. 
The only sports these motherfuckers give about, give a fuck about, are trannies. Because here's Time Magazine, and it's not gay, but it goes with it. Time Magazine criticized crappy parents who allow their children to watch football. If you're encouraging your children to watch football, you are a crappy parent. Football exposes players to the risk of brain damage, and pro-game discriminates against Colin Kaepernick and African-American coaches. As a parent who subjects children to football flaws, you may be a co-conspirator to their hedonism, cognitive dissonance, and hypocrisy, alleges Time writer Sean Gregory. His story is it unethical to watch football with your kids will appear in Time's February issue. As another Super Bowl approaches, I keep thinking about a clear September afternoon at MetLife Stadium, home of the New York Giants, and wondering if, if I'm a crappy dad. But should I be okay with watching the game? Don't the, his wills, eyeballs, help support an ent, an enterprise that we know can damage? See image of NFL players cut off field. It's participants. This is on top of a laundry list of other reasons to tune out, like the stain of disturbing NFL domestic violence incident, or the apparent blacklisting of players, Colin Kaepernick for a peaceful act of protest, or sudden death of African-American head coaches three now, as opposed to seven in 2018. Around 60% of the NFL players are black. There are no African-American majority orders. Jesus fucking Christ, you're an idiot. You're just a fucking idiot. So they don't really care about sports. Because these are geeks that couldn't play sports. But when it comes to men with dicks competing against girls because they couldn't win with men, so now all of a sudden they found a way to win. Oh, no, 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 no. That is real sports. There's no biology. It's about social norms. Pierce Morgan, well, he's on the shit list. Here's his thing. Okay. Here come. Okay, I'll come for saying during a televised debate that he identifies as a penguin, even though the comments produced 950 complaints. Why do you say he identified as a penguin? HuffPost UK reported at the time. Pierce made the remark. This was in November during an on-air debate in response to a BBC film that said there are more than a hundred genders, referencing a story about a baby penguin in a London aquarium being raised by gender-neutral by lesbian penguin couple. It's all bullshit. It's been debunked, but whatever. We're going to continue that lie. I'm going to say that now I'm identifying as a penguin, and I demand to be allowed into penguin enclosures at the aquarium and live in the penguins. As well, as we said, the comet nearly got him investigated by the government. Now there's a petition calling for Morgan to be fired from Good Morning Britain. His take on the petition is pretty frankly brilliant and a great takedown of cancel culture. Um, Anifa Public Watch. LGBT community set up a petition to have Pierce Morgan sacked from Good Morning Britain. Here's what he had to say, and he was absolutely correct. And thank heaven there's someone who stands up so publicly and says it. A hundred Jenners for crying out loud. When will this pathetic nonsense stop before we're all cottered off, please? Here's his reply. The gender lobby group, which is highly abusive. It wants everybody that they don't agree with to be fired, cancelled, destroyed, and everything else. And I say, what is wrong with debate? You and I came on and we debated it on here, right? Yeah. I actually learned a bit from you, and perhaps you learned a bit from me, and maybe you didn't. But your response to a good-natured debate on that is to now come back on and demand I get fired because we only want people sitting here that you agree with. And I say that most people, most people, Mm. and I say this with respect to you, 
Most people think the concept of a hundred genders is utter nonsense. Yeah. Okay. And if it takes me to say, on television, get away from this, this ridiculous control freakery stuff yeah. that no one's allowed to challenge it. If it's to me that says that, I'm going to say it. And you're not going to stop me, and you're not going to get me fired. And what, what exactly is your expertise on gender? Have you got any gender issues? Uh, I'm a, a cisgendered male, and I feel so, so you're, happy you're, to be comfortable you, in that. You're Benjamin, you'll have to explain what cisgender, cisgender is, because it's I not was, a white I was born as a man, and I, I was born as a man, and I identify you're a male. as a man. You're a man. Oh. But the Just truth a man, is, you don't need cis. Piers, when you think cis. you're under attack, imagine being someone who has been criticised by their friends, by their family, mm -hmm. by their school, by parts of the media, from the day they were born, what? I just would much rather live in peace and imagine that there's, there's a school near more interesting, it's got humour. There's a school where I grew up, no, near where I grew up, in Brighton, right? About mm -hmm. five miles from where I grew up. There are now 85 kids identifying yeah. as gender-fluid, non-binary. It is nonsense. It's confusing it's fan, people. It's confusing yeah. everybody. You've got kids watching this program now, no. hearing you say there are a hundred ways to identify your gender. Not male and female, there are a hundred ways to... You could be there a hundred ways person. to be compassionate. And do you know oh. what... It's utterly confusing. And it's better. dangerous. Do you know what would be better than you being fired? Because actually, I'm not intensely keen on this cancelled culture. What would be you better... You signed the petition to have me fired. I, I did, because you don't seem to want to learn. But what would be better... No, I don't want to think how you think is what you mean. You want to fire me because you want me to think well, how most you think. People on Twitter and my problem well. about liberals today is they've become so illiberal, they're only interested in making other people agree with them and think like them. And if they don't, they no-platform them, they ban them, they cancel them, they sign petitions to get people fired. And it It's ridiculous. But now we have every Democrat... Biden was criticized and pushed back. Let's be clear as to transgender equality is a civil rights issue of our time. There's no room for compromise when it comes to basic human rights. Joe Biden says there's no room for compromise on trans issues as Bernie Sanders faces backlash for touting an endorsement from Joe Rogan, who's been a critic of forcing female athletes to compete against biological male athletes to identify as trans former Vice President Joe Biden since Saturday. There's no room for compromise. Biden has previously said that passing the Equal Equality Act, a Democratic-supported bill that would require schools to include biological males to identify as transgender or girls' sports teams, would be his top legislative priority. Although Biden didn't mention Vermont Senator Sanders in his tweet, the statement came as Sanders, also a 2020 Democrat, has faced outrage because he got Joe Rogan fucking support. Scott Kennedy, Joe is uninformed. Even at young age, kids are grouped by sex and age because having a 13-year-old boy play against a 9-year-old girl gives that 13-year-old boy a biological and age difference advantage. Is this hard for people to understand? Biden's pandering hardcore as usual. Nobody will brain with a brain thinks men who are now female should be competing with sports event. If there's anyone of substance who thinks it's fair for biological man to compete against women in sporting events, these are all replies, sorry. Trans people should be treated fairly, but destroying women's sports is really asinine. The party of woman? More pandering for votes. Good luck, Joe. Someone asked Joe Biden to define trans. Make sure to rec record his answer so no, he didn't say it just like everything else he denied that is on video. I identify as a first-place winner and expect every past trans winner to pretend and play make-believe and give me their medals now, since I won in my mind. And that is so true. And for the record... I put, I identify as a Prius on the grill of my Jeep that's all jacked up with a four inch lift and a winch and a 
eats like five gallons of gas a mile. Not one complaint. Everybody goes, I love that fucking sticker. Love it. Let's go into guns. This creates an explosive chemical reaction that sends a projectile, be it a cannonball, a rocket, or a bullet, out of the gun's barrel, downrange. That basic design is, is true for all firearms. <laughs> and there you have it, yes. But, uh, I didn't think it was going to do that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Criminals and so forth, uh, safe storage. But this has to do with mass shooting. And what we find is there's certain weapons that mass shooters prefer, prefer to use. They're basically the same kinds of weapons, modified weapons from weapons of war. And what they do is they kill a lot of people fast. So the goal in my legislation was to distinguish hunting weapons, weapons used for self-defense, weapons used for sports shooting, from weapons that are the, the preferred weapons for mass shooters. And so what the bill does is it distinguishes basically the difference between guns that go like this. These are rifles. You use them to shoot an animal. And you can shoot very precisely with a rifle, an animal. These are the guns that hunters use. They go like this. And you look down the barrel, and you can shoot very precisely, you can have a scope. Those are the kinds of things that hunters like to use. Mass shooters don't like things that go like this, because what that means is someone can hit the rifle butt against their head, deer don't do this, elk don't do this, but humans trying to save their lives do this. It's very hard to shoot a lot of people fast that way. So hunters, so the mass shooters use guns to go like this, all right? Pistol grips, things like that. And guns that go like this are wildly inaccurate. That's why hunters don't like them. But mass shooters do like them. Because their goal is generally not to accurately shoot one person, like an assassin, but to shoot many, many people fast. You may know that in Dayton, the shooter got off some 75 rounds in less than 30 seconds, shooting 40-odd people, while the police were right there. That's what these guns do. That's why they're so useful in the military. You want to mow down an approaching army. They're not useful for hunting. They're also not useful for self-defense. The best weapons for self-defense in your home is a shotgun. What's a shotgun? A shotgun's very powerful. You shoot a shotgun, and it shoots some 40 pellets out, and if someone's coming to approach you and they, they face the end of a shotgun, they're in big trouble, right? So for self-defense, people also use pistols. They use, they use concealed handguns. What the bill does... Dana um, Loesch played that, but here is... Uh, well, there's there's the first thing, which is a thing uh, Julio Rose. I'm fucking this all up. Julio Rose's put, which is remember my drill instructor at boot camp telling us that they were excited for Range Week because we were being unsafe with our rifles. Then it would be okay for them to finally beat the shit out of us, which is totally true. And that was the first soundbite. Uh, Ford Fisher, hey Vice, what an absolute fuck! This guy just pointed a firearm at his camera person and pulled the trigger. Three rules. Never point a gun at something you aren't willing to destroy. Finger off trigger and ready to fire. Treat every gun like it's loaded. Broke all three. And there's actually a picture of a liberal pointing the gun. I mean, pointing a gun at somebody. And then Dana Loesch played the other one. What in the world? It isn't just irresponsible to be this uneducated about everything you want to ban. It's dangerous because of the reckless disregard for constitutional rights. This is Virginia. Upon receiving a position to please define assault weapons, Delegate Mark 
sponsor of HB961, responds with six minutes of a misinformation about guns, magazines, and ammo. And it's the same thing we always talk about. They don't know anything about guns, but they want to tell everybody what the fuck they're going to do, how they're going to live, and what they're going to think. And while Virginia's doing all this stuff, from Matton, Oregon, Virginia Dems introduced anti-free speech legislation to make criticizing them illegal. Virginia Democrats wander dangerously close to violating the First Amendment as well as the Second, according to two House candidates. After the Senate approved series of gun control measures, Democrat-led Virginia State House is now pushing legislation that will make it a Class 1 misdemeanor to criticize the government with the ability for Richmond authorities to charge any citizen. The bill titled HB 1627 threats and harassment of certain officials and property venue would make it a crime for citizens to offer harassment by computer. It appears that if passed, Virginians will voice their dislike or distrust of the Virginia government via Facebook or Twitter, including the infamous Virginia Governor Coonman Northam. You're going to get in trouble. This is the text of the bill, and I'm thank you thankful for Matt finding this. If any person with the intent to coerce, intimidate, or harass any person shall use a computer or computer network to communicate obscene, vulgar, profane, lewd, lascivious, or indecent language, or make any suggestion or proposal of an obscene nature, or threaten any illegal, immoral act, he or she, they wiped out he shall be, is guilty of a Class 1 misdemeanor. A violation of this section may be prosecuted in the jurisdiction which the communication was made or received or in the city of Richmond if the person subjected to the act is one of the following officials. The governor, lieutenant governor, lieutenant governor-elect, attorney general, attorney general-elect, a member-employee of the General Assembly, a justice of the Supreme Court, or a judge of Court of Appeals. There is no definition given of coerce, intimidate, or harass in the text. Additionally, it's unclear what may constitute obscene, vulgar, profane, lewd, lascivious, or indecent language, nor is it explained what a suggestion or proposal of obscene nature would be. On Facebook, the wife of Republican House candidate Virginia 7th District, Nick Frieda, wrote, Wow on cue. Now they're after 1A. Tina Free, Free said this, Dems are trying to set up special rules exclusion to elite ruling class to protect them from criticism. What is considered harassment? Is Governor Infant Side KKK Hood trying to avoid being held accountable? Are we no longer allowed to demand justice for the alleged rape victim of Fairfax? This is some straight-up communist censorship. Um, potentially problematic is her, her, her uh, husband, who's actually official, due to the new provision that would allow authorities in Richmond to pursue computer harassment. Jerome Bell, a Virginia House candidate running to represent the state's 2nd District, also voiced concern. It's no surprise, after the last year of blackface Governor Northam has had, he didn't want the free citizens of Virginia to be able to criticize him. Similarly, Fairfax, who's been incredibly accused multiple times of rape by well-educated Democrat women who happen to be black, who have PhDs, probably would love to put himself in the protected class. Turner General Herring, another blackface-wearing statewide office holder, supports the bill also. That's where they're at. Now you can't even question them. But what's the difference, folks? This is how the media acts. I'm going to claim it today. It is scolding people for criticizing Thunberg again. But now we know that Thunberg didn't even write what she's saying. Her dad did. Then we got the ranch pushes anti-gun agenda. Sick of people saying they need an assault weapon. 
Shows that start out of safe haven, people tired of liberal junk on television, frequently can't resist ending of spewing life left-wing talking points. So it's with the Netflix The Ranch, which is eighth and final release on January 24th, gave us a speech on guns. There were still a couple jokes for conservatives, but it felt like pandering rather than create a show that might appeal to half America that doesn't fall into lockstep with Hollywood. Meanwhile, the plot points drove... Homo liberal agenda. Maggie Deborah Winger, the erstwhile Bennett family matriarch, who was now divorced from us. I don't know like what the fuck. She's back now, and the tone is decidedly nasty. I got down on awkward when Maggie lectured her ex-husband about guns. What was I thinking? She decided to turn all her guns into the police department and encourages. How many guns do you really need? As many as I fucking want. It's called America. We have the right. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Why do you feel you have to tell everybody how to live? Then we got Moms Demand Action. Michael Bloomberg's Every Town for Gun Safety. All of them got together. A huge overflow crowd showed up at Virginia Beach Council meeting when 90 people signed up to speak. The vast majority in favor of making uh, Virginia Beach a Second Amendment sanctuary. They succeeded with the council voting 6-4 to four to declare it. Steve Gutowski. Gun control group Mom Demand Action weighs in on Second Amendment sanctuary. These resolutions are dangerous attempts to defy the democratic will of the people. Not only do most Virginians in America support background checks and red flag laws, but these laws have already been ruled constitutional and proven to save lives. Replies. Keep telling yourself that. No, we don't. No, they aren't. No, they don't. Claim. Most Virginia's truth. 91 of 95 counties had declared themselves sanctuary counties. Claim. Proven to save lives. Fact. The data on red flag laws show only a reduction in suicides and constitutionally hasn't been thoroughly tested even by the lower courts yet. The sanctuaries were creating directed directly by the will of the people. Weren't they not? Looks to me like democratic will of the people is telling you and your sugar daddy Bloomberg to shove your unconstitutional gun laws. Did you think people wouldn't fight back? The democratic will of some people do not dictate to changes the Constitution to ensure the Second Amendment rights for all. And then, the most important thing, now talk about illegal immigration. Talk about it. The amazing thing is if they were on the right side of law and the will of the people, there wouldn't be sanctuary abortion places where it's illegal. Sanctuary fucking gun places. 91 of 95 counties? Do you, come on! What does that say? They elected Democrats because they were better candidates. They did not politic on, we're going to take your guns. And then to divert from blackface and rape, they went gun grabbing. And the people of the state are going to run them out on a rail, my friends. On a rail! We're talking... Oh, brother, where art thou? Then you have this fantasy world shit. It's, once again, the liberals. They always have their fantasy world. My kid did this. My dog did this. Joseph Saccharin took a good amount of time putting together a thread about someone leaving a death threat under his windshield. Now, if you don't know Saccharin, don't feel too badly. We didn't either until his threat crossed our radar. We happen to notice he's a fairly passionate gun control advocate, which makes his entire thread seem more suspect. But we suppose anything is possible. This, however, is a stretch. Debated whether to share this, and after a lot of thought, here it is. Last week, I'm leaving my home for work, and I find this paper in my windshield. One does not have to see the rest of the sentence that were covered to understand the intent of this message, a death threat. 
So he's claiming the death threat was under his windshield, except that reflection looks a little bit like he took the picture in his own garage. See the entry in the area above the garage, and you can see all this shit. Now, for those who don't know me, let me give you some background. Son of immigrant, nearly killed at 17 after being shot in the throat. Here comes some more lies. Inspired to become a trauma surgeon, have been working on gun violence prevention. Here, he's making the case why some gun person might threaten him. Proud to partner with so many wonderful groups, all those... Fuck your rules. Fuck your your constitutional rights. We know better. Currently working on Capitol Hill in a health policy space. Moms demand in every town. Yeah, this does not help us case. The patient I've cared for and the family, loved ones, continue to be my source of inspiration as to why I wake up and work tirelessly on this issue every morning. My dear friends, without movement, too many to mention, continue to guide me in the right direction. Uh, I've discussed this emotionally charged topic in ways that continue to build on the commonality of the United States of Americans. Having spoken across the country, including Waco, Kansas City, I can tell you that we have more in common than we have divides us. Having this death threat on my car is so disturbing for many reasons, but more importantly, because my family and loved ones have been through so much during my fatal injury, I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but Jesus fucking Christ, he MLK'd. He MLK'd. And then to close our gun section, because they really were upset there wasn't anything bad. Here's David Hogg. This is a retweet from the founders of the gun violence prevention movement started centuries ago by all entire, almost entirely black, brown, and indigenous LGBTQ people and non-binary people that never got on the news or in most history books. We may not know all your names, but thank you. Somebody goes, centuries ago, indigenous LGBTQ people, non-binary? You do know centuries, a hundred years. A shout out to the mid-16th century founders of the world salad movement. The only gun violence back in the South wanted to prevent 200 years ago was directed at them. And they could have defended themselves if their Second Amendment rights weren't taken away from them, as you would do to all of us. And how many LGBT brown people were there? People just fucking tore this guy up. But that's the shit that they do. Nothing is grounded in fact. We ground it all in emotion and bullshit. Which is a perfect segue to climate. Okay. How dare you? It's not all about energy. It's about raising awareness for climate change in schools and all over Charlotte. Because here's the thing. Changes can be made. This is the first step to radical action, and we need it to happen. How dare you? We will make sure they, that we put them against the wall. You're, you, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies at five and nine. We need to eat the babies. How dare you? We don't allow this kind of behavior with our kids or our kin. We say it all the time. Hey, if you, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. If you can't deal with the argument, just shut up and walk away. Because it's already over for you. And here's the problem with it. It's worse than the politics of party over principle. Because it is our surrender to anything to do with the facts, anything to do with the law. It's literally this, in official form. It's not just attacking the messenger. It's trying to kill the message. 
and pretend it never existed. And that is the most dangerous thing we can face. That's my argument. Now, one of the... That's Cuomo again, and he's once again virtue signaling for Thunberg. And I want you to understand, Sean, or Stephen Miller, sums it up. He threatened to throw a guy down a flight of stairs. This is the guy who threatened to go throw a dude down a flight of stairs because he called him fucking Frito. But here's the article. Hypocrite. CNN Cuomo defends Thunberg says liberal kids are off limits. Self-awareness isn't Chris Cuomo's strong suit. The CNN host stepped in it yet again on Thursday while trying to shame trucker, uh, Steve Munchen because um, he said something. Even after Cuomo Network was sued for millions of dollars for defaming Covington Catholic, Cuomo had the audacity to claim that kids were off limits. Cuomo was responding to Munchen's starky comment that Thunberg should go to college and study economics. The Treasury Secretary was prompted by a reporter to respond to the liberal teen activist demand for immediate fossil fuel divestment. The CNN host was aghast at the suggestion that a teen with an agenda might need a more balanced education. He tweeted dismissively, Why do these Trumpers think they can go after a kid? It seems Cuomo forgot his own company was forced to settle with Covington Catholic after his lawyer sought $275 million for defaming him and his peers as racist last year. His CNN colleague even wished violence on Sandman at the time. The irony was too rich to ignore so, of course, Cuomo was roasted on Twitter. Nick Sandman, 16, when CNN docs and harassed him. Frito, your old colleagues posted this about having a punchable face. Do you remember that? Congressman Kelly Armstrong. CNN's Cuomo bashes Covington kids as victims of their own choices. It seems only liberal kids are off limits to the media. The media has no issue smearing groups of Catholic teens as racist or smiling while liberal activists beat a drum in their face. Several outlets had no problem attacking President Trump's teenage son for doing absolutely nothing. Meanwhile, a Swedish teen radical who thrusts herself in the global spotlight, lectures world leaders, and says they're going to put them on the fucking wall. It's okay. Here's one of his great things. Why did the kid get in the, his face and the others cheer him on his way? That seemed disrespectful. Why is this good school looking at it? Nick Sandman tops Twitter trend after Chris Cuomo white knights for Thunberg. <laughs> the right gave it to her. Then Sam Stein comes in. I really would love to better understand the psychology behind why Greta Thunberg seems to drive prominent Republicans and Trumpians so nuts. Replies. I would really love better to understand the psychology behind why Greta Thunberg seems to inspire cult hero worship and prominent Democrat leftists that they seem to get off by shamed by children and look for them to answers instead of coming up with some themselves. Another one, because we're watching half the country prostrate itself to this economics of a teenager has zero technical knowledge of anything related to economics. The worst part, we're told to shut up when she points out she's a kid. Mind-boggling stupid. Let's find a 12-year-old kid to start lecturing leftists on the Second Amendment and see what response is. You'll be surprised to what they find. And then the whole world says, Her dad wrote her shit. And then Cheryl Atkinson did the tweet of the day. A list of failed climate and other doomsday predictions. This is time. 1973, the big freeze. 1977, the big freeze. 2001, global warming. 2006, be worried, very, very worried, climate change. And then she shot the Competitive Enterprise Institute article documents examples after example of doomsday predictions that didn't come true. Here are just a few. 
dire famine by 1975, according to Stanford University biologist. Air pollution caused new ice age by 2000, according to scientists at the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Americans would be rationing water by 74 and food by 1980, according to ecologist Dr. Paul Ehrlich. The Republic of Maldives will be submerged to a rise oceans by 2018. Snowfall will become a thing of the past, according to senior research scientist at East Anglia in 2000. And then somebody tweeted, 50 years of failed eco-apocalyptic predictions. 67 to 75, or 67, by 75, famine. 69, everyone will disappear in a cloud of blue steam by 89. New York Times, 1969, 1970, the Ice Age by 2000. Boston Globe, 1970, America is subject to water rationing by 74 and food by 1980. 1970, Redlands Daily Facts, 1971, new Ice Age coming. 1972, New Ice Age by 2070. Noah, 1974, New Ice Age coming fast. 1974, Time, another Ice Age. 1974, Time again, Ozone depletion, a great peril to life. NASA, the cooling in 76. Acid rain kills life in lakes. New York Times in the 80s. Uh, but 10 years later, the U.S. government program formed a study, Acid Rain Conclude. Acid Rain, no environmental crisis, study concludes. I just heard about Acid Rain the other day. They're bringing it back. 1978, no end in sight to 30-year cooling trend. 1978, uh, January 5th, but according to NASA scientists, there's a slight warming trend. 1988, James Hassan forecast increased regional drought in the 90s. But the last really dry year was in 1988, and everything's been wet ever since, and they say that's climate change. 1988, Washington, D.C., days of 90 90 degree Fahrenheit to from 35 to 85. But the number of hot days in D.C. area peaked in 1911 and have been declining ever since. 1988, Maldives, completely underwater. 1989, rising seas to obliterate nations by 2000. This is a big, huge cover. From the Associated Press. 1989, New York City West Side Highway underwater by 2019. Salon. Next one, 1995 to present. Climate model failure from CEI Org. Average 102. I mean, it just shows every model was bullshit. Next one, 2000. Children won't know what snow is. Snowfalls are now just a thing of the past. However, the warming has so manifests itself more in the winters, which are less cold than in much hotter summers. According to Dr. David Vinru, a senior research scientist, climate research unit of the University of East Anglia. It's not true. 20, 2002, famine in 20 years. Why vegans were right all along. That was the Guardian. Britain to have Siberian climate by 2020. The Guardian. Now the Pentagon tells Bush climate change will destroy us. It didn't happen. The Guardian again. 2008. Arctic will be ice-free by 2018. Al Gore in 2008. Ice-free by 2013. But there's still ice. Prince Charles says only eight years before the planet's dead in 2009. 
Then, UK Prime Minister says 50 days to save the planet from catastrophe. Gordon Brown, we're going to have fewer than 50 days to save our planet. Then in 2009, 2014, Gore said. Oh, wait a minute. Then in 2013, he said 2015. I'm getting really confused. Gas hydrate disassociation is flat barred induced by isolatic rebound rather than global warming. I don't even know what the fuck that means. Then in 2013, it changed again to 2016 Arctic free. 2014, only 500 days before climate chaos. An article from an actual media. Planet still standing 50 day, 500 days after French foreign minister warned of climate chaos. <laughs> So, over the last two years, it is, we have 12 years, but last week, Greta Thunberg, who is, oh, so awesome, and we're not supposed to listen to anybody but her, and we need to plan our whole lives after what she says, says now we have eight. So we lost four years in a year. And I close this segment on how fucking absurd... This is from November 26, 2019. <clears throat> I am not making this up. This is this is an actual article. You can actually find it on The Guardian. And the title, Pointless Emails. They're not just irritating. They have a massive carbon footprint. More than 64 million unnecessary emails are sent in Britain every day. Along with clogging up our inboxes, they're damaging the environment. Yeah. Emails. Let's read this. Stop. Don't send the email. Don't offer a thanks or send a jokey message. If you do, you will add to your carbon footprint. Be rude. Say nothing and save the planet. A new study commissioned by the energy company OVO reckons Brits <clears throat> send more than 64 million unnecessary emails every day. And then if every adult in the UK sent one fewer thank you, it would be equivalent to 81,152 flights to Madrid or 3,334 diesel cars off the road. These are the sorts of stats beloved of green energy companies trying to get a bit of free publicity. But it's all true, according to Mike Brenner, professor. So it's a, it's a fucking marketing plan, but it is true. How could one little email destroy the planet? I asked Mike Barnes-Lee, who advises OVO on research, when you're typing, your computers use electricity. When you press send, it goes through the network. It takes less electricity to run the network. And it's going to end up being stored on the cloud somewhere, and that data centers use a lot of electricity. We don't think about it because we can't see the smoke coming about our computers. But the carbon footprint, it is huge. The electronic electricity I grasp, the cloud a bit beyond me, and made up enormous data centers all over the world. They're burning through huge amounts of electricity. Super efficient communication storage is killing us. Every silver lining as a cloud. Barnard Lee admits that numbers are crude estimates, but say they are a useful way of making a general point. When you take a small action to cut carbon, it's a message to yourself that you could care about the climate emergency. Sweet fucking God. So I am supposed to literally shit my pants over an email. <clears throat> and yet Nancy Pelosi sent how many emails campaigning, fundraising during the impeachment? Anybody? So I tell you all, make sure when you get a liberal email, you shoot back to them. You are killing the fucking planet. The liberal shit.
Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! You can't see it as well, but KFC Australia is under fire for its totally awesome ad that features a beautiful woman checking herself out in a car window because she doesn't know as two teenage boys and a mom sitting behind the tinted glass watching her the whole time. You see, this is casual sexism. Larissa Waters, just another day of casual sexism on Australian TV. Christina Summers, first of all, the KFC ad is funny. Also, the young woman is delightful. The distressed mom, worried little kid, back, mesmerized, boy in front, an amusing human situation. KFC should not pull ad. Don't let the scolds win. But they did. They won, and they pulled the fucking commercial. It is funny as hell. And once again, the left, everything, everything's something to be canceled about. You've got to cancel it. Daily Beast Obadiah, pal of Omar and Sasser, slams Trump for anti-Semitism. Muslim comedian and talk show host Dean Obadiah compared the impeachment of President Trump to a diamond. It lasts forever. Now Obadiah wrote an article for the Daily Beast headline, Trump's still normalizing anti-Semitism, and it only gets going to get worse. And he goes on and on. And then we hear it. The partisan double standard is dangerous. Speaking of double standards, Obadiah, the supposed scourge of anti-Semitism, appeared last fall at the CARE fundraiser with Omar. Their limited number of tickets for the CARE 25th anniversary gala featuring special guest Omar and political commentator Obadiah. Activist and community leader Linda Sossar, uh, and Representative Mataiva Johnson-Harrell, all these people are anti-Semites. <clears throat> yeah. Jerusalem Post. Rashida Tlaib was among those circulating in an unverified claim that Israeli settlers had kidnapped and assaulted a seven-year-old boy and executed him by throwing him in a well to freeze to death. Hannah Ashrali, the heart just shatters, the pain is unbearable, kidnapped and executed. Seven-year-old Palestinian child Kwase was kidnapped by a herd of violent Israeli settlers, assaulted and thrown in a water well, was found this morning. Elon Levy. Three layers of what for now appears to be a blood libel from a faceless activist to a Palestinian government official to a U.S. congresswoman to a global audience of 898,000 followers. And it was a lie. Dung Hinken. Tlaib again indulges in vile anti-Semitism and promotes a modern-day blood libel against Jews. Where's the democratic outrage? Where's Chuck Water- Watchers of Jew Schumer condemn these libelous calls for pointless violence? They are all complicit. And it goes down. I mean, that you follow it. This Ashrari, who she retweeted, says, My apologies for retweeting something that's not fully verified. It seems that the news of this being kidnapped isn't certain. But those retweets, you never see them. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. You never see them. People don't go back and see this shit. <clears throat> then we have another one of these fucking weird libs. And I love covering these because they're just fucking sick, man. Just sick. They really have problems. 
This is one of those gems, and it's from Lisa Hendricks, a national volunteer with Mom's Demand, who for the record lists her preferred pronouns as she, her. It seems Lisa's daughter is a big fan of Elizabeth Warren and turns Warren turns to Warren when things get scary. Well, Lisa, just had to share that to the world. I found my five-year-old daughter, Elizabeth Warren, action figure in her bed when I was making it this morning. When I asked her why, she said, I was scared and she makes me feel brave. Warren is inspiring a whole generation of little girls to grow up and move mountains. She knew I posted this because I asked first, and she just asked to hear what people said. One dude now blocks that it was happened. She said, oh, just tell him I had a bad dream and was scared. I got her off my dresser to be brave. She's so freaking wholesome. Not sure how wholesome it is to let your daughter think that Elizabeth Warren can keep her safe, but we're not going to tell you how to parent your child. Just be aware that you're setting yourself up for some serious disappointment. Today in Danistan, why do the children of liberal activists always seem to spontaneously burst forth with tweet-ready political pronouncements that so perfectly match their parents' views? Yes, it's comforting to have a mean person with you. Nando, I too love Indian in a cupboard as a child. <laughs> Another one. Too bad Wonder Woman is around with her lasso of truth. We can use it on Warren. It's a toy, and she doesn't know that Elizabeth Warren really is, to be fair. Elizabeth Warren doesn't know who she really is. She has lied about her history so many times, she can't possibly know the truth anymore. <laughs> it's so true. Then Vox. And this shows how horrible these people are, man. They have these little... You can't have a normal Twitter. They have a Twitter room. And I want you to understand that. You and I couldn't get a Twitter room. A conservative couldn't get a Twitter room. Inside the secret Twitter room with Deborah Messing, Don Cheadle, and the rest of the celebrity resistant organizers. I remember they became these pack of impeachment people. And Twitter gave them their own fucking room. The discussion took place on Twitter, but not in the public space. It happened in a private room made for progressive celebrities and activists to communicate and work in tandem to spread messages online. It's a growing tactic on the left designed to piggyback on the social media coordination strategy employed successfully on the right and intended to harness the power of Hollywood stars and high-profile activists who are already lean Democratic. A sort of cabal of resistance influencers, if you will. The Messing-Cheetle exchange, after which Messing apparently chose not to tweet the article, took place in an under-the-radar invite-only network called the Decency Collective. The de- See how out of reality they are? They're the most indecent people. The things they say are horrible, but it's the Decency Collective. An effort to harness the potential of progressive celebrities and activists online. Under its umbrella are dozens of private Twitter direct message groups Organized a room, excuse me, organized around specific issues, geographies, and events where left-leaning influencers gather. The Decency Collective, you guys, more among the names I noticed of those involved are many that people might recognize. Gabriel Union, Alyssa Milano, John Cryer, Sarah Silverman, Ben Stiller, Tom Canola. It's all the Hollywood people. Representatives for presidential campaigns of Warren and Sanders, are among others, are in the mix as well. Anthony Armour, can you imagine the dopey conversations that happened in those rooms? And it just, they're missing the point. A lot of people didn't get the point. And the point is, this is where you got, there will be no talkback. They will be able to put out tweets that are false lies, uh, fictitious, whatever. 
and you won't be able to respond to it because only they will say who could talk because that's what the whole fucking internet was supposed to be. An echo chamber just for the left and then they let everybody else on and they've been policing it ever since it was a chat room. I talk about it on the show. I used to be on chat rooms. It was all liberals. And if you said anything, if you called somebody a hypocrite, you were suspended, put in time out. I got called all sorts of horrible shit. There was actually terrorists on this chat board. It's called U.S. Politics Online. Outright terrorists. They could say whatever the fuck they want because they were liberals. Want an example? Elizabeth Dono wouldn't know patriotism and fell out of the sky, landed on her face and started to wiggle. So for her to claim the Republican Party is dead, well, laughable at best. Here's her tweet. As Republican Party patriotism dead, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Tens of thousands of people probably need to write an L on the inside of their left shoe to know which one goes on what foot. Loved her tweet. No one ever claimed she and her supporters were the sharpest tool. Kurt Schilster, teach me about patriotism. Somebody said, waste of time, didn't spell it correctly. I bet anything she needs a spell check to know how to spell patriotism. Dude, we're trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, somebody said. She was on a sitcom 40 years ago. She knows things. That makes her a super duper expert on everything, especially patriotism. Yeah. That that's that just sums up the fucking left, man. Woo! It just sums up the fucking left. And that ends. Our news and social media nuggets. We're gonna go into a lighter fare. And I gotta be quite honest, I don't remember it is, but enjoy it anyway. I actually got that from the wife. I forgot it was a lady on MSDNC saying that. The Los Angeles, she said she was combining Knicks and Lakers. But it didn't sound that way. And of course, there was calls for her to die. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, other things inside the lighter fair. Uh, Chester Bennington's window, Talita, Ramirez in Hawaii, uh, on the anniversary of her original marriage, which is some fucked up shit. Eddie Murphy is going to be playing in a remake of Grumpy Old Men, which I think is going to be pretty awesome. Um, and then lastly, this, <clears throat> good lord, the new virus from China. We watched, uh, zombies for some reason. Um, Got stuck on a zombie kick. And I gotta be quite honest, watching Contagion and all that stuff was pretty creepy. <clears throat> and at the end, this, whatever the hell they're calling this virus, it is a killer. And it really freaks you out a little bit, um, when you think about it. Uh, so this is the cold and flu season, but make sure you're washing your hands. So we're gonna go into This is America and close this pig up. Uh, we're going to start with Joe Biden bragging about firing somebody and then a bunch of people on CNN mocking uh, boomer Trump people. And the best thing about it is one of them, other than Lemon, everybody on that set is a white guy and is a boomer. And it is their arrogance that the more Twitter is around, the more people learn what you don't want them to know. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. 
don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. I remember going over convincing our brothers to convincing us that we're providing for loan guarantees. Now, I guess the 12th, 13th to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan game. And I had gotten a commitment from Shenko and from Netanyahu uh, that they would take action against the state project. They didn't. So they said they had it. They walked. I said, no, nah. I said, I'm not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, Barty, you're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be here. I think it was, what, six hours? I looked. I said, well, even if the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> I fired. And they put in place someone was solid at the time. And it, obviously it's false. And look, he also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one and they're oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. You, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading. Yeah, you're reading. You know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. All those lines on the map. <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. Sorry, I apologize. But by, but by the way, oh my God. But, but you know what? But, but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but, you know, but, but in all honesty, but all, you know what Rick, NPR should why do? Why not? Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can wait, I tell you, you what? A second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. That was good. Sorry. Rick, you, that you, was a good one. I needed that. Okay, so listen. Can, Let's can get I tell back you what, to business and, here. You know, people... Um, I think I've said it before, and I'd say it again. If Trump did something wrong, and it was proven, it was factual, it was done without partisanship, yes, he should be impeached. But since the election of Donald Trump, the Democrats have been running around with their pants on fire, talking about Russia, this, that, boycotting, uh, obstructing on policies that Obama did, and it was just fine, you didn't care, from kids in cages to borders being not open for people from Middle Eastern descent. Um, yeah, it's pretty bad. So you can yuck it up, but unless you run a totally liberal poll, nobody's for this. And as we showed today, America thinks America's going doing pretty good under Trump, and nobody's watching your shit show. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com, foppodcast, gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Make sure you check out the Facebook page at Fop Tony Reed, or excuse me, at Fop Podcast, and the Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. We're going to shoot for a podcast on the uh, first, no, 31st. 31st of January, year of our Lord, 2020. We're going to do the um, March 
anything interesting in a news roundup and a news and social media nuggets. Until then, make sure you, you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. Enjoy your family. I will start looking for a job tomorrow because my wife was terminated for no cause. Uh, we could sue, but we're not going to. And uh, might lessen amount of podcasts we do, but we'll still get podcasts because we did them before when I was fully working. Um, but until then, uh, wish us luck. I'll wish you luck and you and yours, and uh, maybe positive vibes will work out. As always, my friends, thanks for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. I'm the sun and the air. I'm the shyness that is criminally broken.